Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. Oh, breathe it in. Breathe it in, my friends. Oh, the beach. Yes, the beach was nice. It is the 8th of October, year of our Lord, 2019, and I'm back in the new bunker. For those that don't follow Twitter or Facebook, uh, promptly coming back from Pensacola Beach, I went to work on the bunker, and we're in the bunker now. It's actually walled off. We still have two walls to soundproof, but a hundred bucks, some nice looking paneling. Mom even bought off on it, and hopefully, the show will sound a little less echoey, less animally, specifically birds. But they are directly above me, and I did listen to the last podcast, and I heard, yeah, I heard some stuff. So, a lot of stuff went on before you know I. Or during the time I was away. I'm not going to be able to catch it all up. We're going to go through some impeachment, some generalized hate. Our regular news and social media nuggets. Have some fun with uh, Sean and Matt in Oregon. Because Portland hits the list. Oh yeah, news and social media nuggets. Some crazy shit they're doing up there. But the most absurd thing I heard was actually not in Pensacola Beach. Is when I got back and I decided to look up some stories. And boom... This crazy shizite, I I don't even know what to say to this. We're not going to be here for much long because of the climate crisis. We only have a few months left. I love that you support the Green Deal, but it's not getting, you know, getting rid of fossil fuel is not going to solve the problem fast enough. A Swedish professor saying, you know, we can eat dead, dead people, but that's not fast enough. So I think your next uh, campaign slogan has to be this. We got to start eating babies. We don't have enough time. There's too much CO2. All of you, you're, you're, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. We have to start now. Please, you are so great. I'm so happy that you're really supporting the Green Deal, but it's not enough. You know, even if we would bomb Russia, we still have too many people, too much pollution. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies is not enough. We need to eat the babies. And this is very serious. Please give a response. No, thank you. Thank you. We'll go ahead. Um, Okay. No, we'll we'll go ahead. It's so... No, no, no. Yeah, no. Thank you. So, I think... um, Yeah, no, so... One of the things that's very important to us is that we need to treat the climate crisis with the urgency that it does present. Um, Luckily, we have more than a few months. We do need to hit net zero in several years. Um, But I think we all need to, to... to understand that there are a lot of solutions that we have um, and that we can pursue and that if we act in a positive way, there's space for hope. There's, we are never beyond hope. Okay. I, I couldn't even make up a soundbite. Like one of my old skits with those 
who were from the show a long time ago. I used to make up stupid skits, and I, I couldn't even make that up. I mean, I I would never even think that that was a concept. The worst part about this, that whole conversation was she literally said, some scientist said we should eat the dead. Yeah, eat the dead, eat the fucking babies. I want to go out and make a shirt, just like her, because you haven't seen the video. She literally has a shirt, eat the fucking babies. I want to wear that shirt. Liberals are... Eat the babies. That is just a soundbite that makes everything understandable, folks. It makes you understand why they're trying to impeach so much, because they know they're stupid fucking crazy. It makes you understand that this constant pounding of Greta Southern, whatever the fuck her name, Thunberg, and stuff we're going to talk about here in a second, and climate change, I mean... Fuck me running upside down. What the fuck, Chuck? Eat the babies. Carrie Pickett, woman just stood up at AOC Town Hall. She was there, freaking out about climate change, said we should start eating babies. Somebody said to her, this is the final stage before the zombie apocalypse. Prepare yourself. Candace Owens, if you're trying to determine whether the eat the babies woman was a troll, you're missing the point. AOC allowing a woman to discuss bombing Russia... That was in there. Eating infants without once condemning those ideas proves the Democrats are okay with violence as long as it votes blue. Exactly what that's why they don't condemn Antifa or admit that Obama fueled hatred towards police officers. Jessica Fletcher, the fact that we don't know if that woman was serious or not shows how insane the left has gotten. Save the planet. Eat the babies. Two points in there. Bomb Russia. To fix climate change, do you understand the logic in that? That we're going to pol- radiate an entire part of the fucking sphere. I don't think that's good, but in their minds, you're not supposed to have babies. You're supposed to abort babies or eat the babies, like she says, because if we keep producing, the planet can't. Pr- the planet can't handle all the cow farts and plastic straws. Which, by the way, isn't in the show, but it hit my phone from the Weather Channel. Baby turtle found with 140 pieces of plastic in his belly and it died. Them and their plastic turtles, Jesus, J. Jehoshaphat. Come on, man. Give it a goddamn break. Just give it a break. You and your fucking turtles. What the fuck? But... There's that. And then, uh, because I lost my train of thought going on a fucking total fucking tangent here. The most important thing that she nails in this, in this tweet is the fact that we went through 47%. We went through binder full of women. We went through grabbed them by the pussy. We went through fucking Charlottesville where every conservative was held accountable for one guy getting bricked, losing it, and ramming his Dodge Charger into another vehicle, hitting a woman and killing her. We were hit with the tiki torches. The tiki torches represent all conservatives. What's my point? Every conservative has to answer for Sandra Fluke, has to answer for put a fucking aspirin between your knees is the best form of birth control, has to answer for all that shit. She doesn't have to answer for it. Media didn't go crazy and run this for a fucking week, eat the goddamn babies. You can goddamn bet if a fucking conservative stood up and said, I know how he fixed climate change, they say it totally in jest. 
Eat the fucking babies! That would lead. Well, what does that say about the conservative party that they want to eat infants? Her answers. We had a fabulous town hall tonight, and I'll be highlighting some moments from it. At one point, I was concerned there's a woman in crisis and wanted to ensure we treat the situation capacitively. Let's not mock or make a spectacle. Let's work on Medicare for all. Nothing to see here. Move along. This person may be suffering from mental condition. It's not okay that the right wing is mocking her and potentially making her condition of crisis worse. Be a decent human being. Knock it off. If she's got mental problems, they're exasperated by the scaremongering you are part of. With the climate. If you want to be compassionate, tell the truth. Maybe you should stop scaring people, especially the feeble-minded, into thinking that we only have 12 years to live. Take some damn responsibility. It's a fucking cult, folks. Ted Cruz. LaRouche campaign plans to range questioner who asked AOC if we should eat our babies to protect the environment. Neither ARC nor the crowd react. Here's a question. Is anyone going to create a Twitter meme? AOC ate my son. Swift. And I could use some company. Because he's right. There's Twitter memes all over the place making fun of conservatives. There's no eat the baby. No ramifications for eating the fucking baby. I mean, literally think about that, folks. Eat the baby. That's a thing now. Her reaction... No responsibility. She did nothing wrong here. Nobody reacted to this lady because this is a New York City and Trump plants are amateurs compared to what we deal with on the NYC subway system. Two things there. She wasn't a plant. Second thing, as highlighted by a astute tweeter, yesterday she was upset that the right was being cruel to this poor woman. Today she's making fun of the New York City undesirables on the subway. Nobody reacted because AOC's position are so ridiculously stupid that no one knew if this was staged or an actual supporter. Eat the babies. It was a hashtag on Twitter. Eat the fucking babies. But it's nothing new, my friends. Church of Sweden announced Greta Thunberg's successor of Jesus Christ. I'm not even reading the article. She's Jesus. We already talked about it. They have... Fucking votives, candles, just like Obama, the dear one. These people are fucking unhinged. And then when you say as an adult, hey, uh, little kid with autism talking shit to world leaders, probably not a good thing. They come out with this bullshit that was, by the way, eat the babies, not a Twitter moment. Mocking people saying, hey, this kid's unhinged, uses a pop prop, has a mental illness, and probably shouldn't be used as said prop. No, they're the bad people. And we put satirical mocking of people, disparaging a fucking climate messiah. AOC was cool with this. Hi, I'm a middle-aged and an embarrassing problem. Rationally angry at a sweetie wants to save the planet. Luckily, there's now another call. Hello, you've called the Greta Line. If you're a grown adult to yell at a child for some reason, the Greta Helpline is here to tolerate you. She's just feeling needless anxiety. She's making the end of the world. That's the end of the world! This whole show right far. Now I see she's speaking in front of a mock UN. That was the real UN. 
So before you go full caps article comment section, let our experts assess your situation. So to ask you some questions before we get started, include a profile picture and egg. Yeah, yeah, but have any good photos of my face? No matter how ridiculous you sound. She really is such a nice, sweet, caring swell. How come she can't help me assemble my case? Yeah, but if she's so concerned about Rindy, how come she doesn't wear one of those baseball caps with panels and the fan on the front? They said this lady with comedy. Well, I didn't laugh once. Sir, I read a Gerwig helpline. 99%? I don't 99%. True. It's okay. We understand children acting like adults can make act like children. I think I'm honest. She got a free cruise to America. I saw she out there herself. Don't know why she gets to fist bump about never gotten to. Have you considered the own significant global movement? But it's so much shit on someone else's. You're listening to a child. We should be listening to an Oh right, would you want me to put you through to an expert? The Greta line, because when it comes to climate change, we all know she's the real problem. Fucking people, man. Just fucking people. Nobody could get away with this if you're conservative. Then you got the New York Post. Coffee will become a luxury item if Greta Thunberg's climate change warnings are he- aren't heated. If we don't follow this fucking moon bat, we're screwed. By 2050, up to half the land currently used globally to grow coffee could be unusable for this purpose, experts predict. The environmental cost of this should be dire, with increased deforestation likely in order to clear new raw areas for coffee farming. Somebody brings in facts. Coffee prices are now so low that some farmers are abandoning their crop. Clear evidence. Please. There is none. Everything is fear-mongering. Here is from uh, Iowa Hawk. Protesters in London losing their mind. And Jason Momoa that we are all a virus. Yes. You and I. Viruses.
Excellencies, distinguished, de distinguished delegates, ladies and gentlemen. Today I stand before you as a singular representative of all island nations. I am honored to represent those who continue to fight as stewards of this planet. As a native Hawaiian, born to a mother from Iowa, I have seen how one place can be oblivious to another. The issues facing an island can feel so far removed from that place that is landlocked in the middle of our country. However, with a foothold in two worlds, I quickly began to see how a problem for one will soon become a problem for all. As a human family, through innovation and creativity, we have elevated ourselves and perceivably stand as the most powerful beings on Earth. Yet our ego, our fear, and our relentless drive for profits have made us the only species willing to force disharmony with the natural balance of our world. We are the living consequence of forgotten traditions. We suffer a collective amnesia of a truth that was once understood, the truth that to cause irreversible damage to the earth is to bring the same unto ourselves. We, the island nations, and all coastal communities are the front lines in this environmental crisis. The oceans are in a state of emergency. Entire marine ecosystems are vanishing with the warming of the seas. And as the waste of the world empties into our waters, we face the devastating crisis of plastic pollution. We are a disease that is infecting our planet. From the atmosphere to the abyssal zone, we are polluted. It is a known fact that the great garbage patch floating in the Pacific is larger, larger than the country of France. Even at the depths of the Mariana Trench, we are discovering nanoplastics. And shockingly, there are more plastic particles in the ocean than the stars in the Milky Way. It is shameful. Yet the greatest threat to small island developing states is the fact that entire islands are drowning into the sea due to the enormous volume of emissions generated by the first world countries. Island nations contribute the least to this disaster, but are made to suffer the weight of its consequences. Our governments and corporate entities have known for decades the immediate changes needed, yet change still has not come. And when the front line is gone, we are doomed. There is no undoing. If you continue to watch, unsympathetic to the issues of island nations, this realization will soon come. That you stood by and witnessed the world cross the critical tipping point, ushering the death of our planet. 69 of the 100 richest entities in the world are corporations. They are not governments. Obviously, it is not naive to believe that one does not influence the other. But we are watching and the people will hold our governments and corporate powers accountable for the destruction you are allowing to our environment. Three years ago in Paris, the world stood united and vowed to keep the earth below 1.5 degrees of warming. We pledged to hold ourselves to a higher standard and to do what is right. I'm standing here today because I am ashamed 
that not all of our leaders have wanted this agreement. Delegates, I ask you now, do we still stand in unity for this cause? Do you intend to honor the commitments for better man, betterment of mankind? Or will you continue to chase short-term profits above our children's basic human rights to live on this earth? Change cannot come in 2050 or 2030 or even 2025. The change must come today. We can no longer afford the luxury of half-assing it as we willingly force ourselves beyond the threshold of no return. As a human species, we need the earth to, to survive. But make, make no mistake, the earth doesn't need us. We are demanding global unity for a global crisis to once again bring harmony between mankind and the natural balance of our world. We must right the wrongs we have done against our children and grandchildren because we are gifting them with a world that suffers from our irresponsible stewardship. I leave you with an island proverb that states, Heva'a Himoku. Hemoku Heva'a. These words teach us that all land, no matter how big or small, floats on the ocean like a canoe in the middle of the sea. And that our planet is nothing more than an island floating amongst an ocean of stars. Life on a floating vessel has limited resources. It requires strict conservation practices and carefully planned navigation to ensure survival. We must work together as a global community to best steer our canoe in the right direction. The direction of a healthy and abundant future on earth that we call home. Mahalo nui loa. Please join us, the Samoa Pathway, and unified commitment to protect and heal the planet. This is for all of us. Aloha. Kukiai Mauna! While they are there, Extinction Rebellion, it's the name of the group in, of wackos in London, has covered Wall Street Bowl in blood as part of the International Rebellion in New York City. Oh, I'm sorry, this is the, the U.S. ones. I thought it was the British one. Now that I rewrote, I'm right reading. It's all fucked up. Yeah, so this is, was, was in America at the same time. Breaking climate protests is arrested outside Wall Street Bull with fake blood and global extinction rebellion demonstrations. Protesters staged dying at Wall Street Bull statue covered blood. Climb atop. Police arrested 25 people taking part in a climate change protest at the charging bull statue. Authorities say the protesters surrounded the iconic statue through red paint on it have started a two-week climate change protest in central London simultaneously with thousands of people expected to turn out. Dear Twitter, if we hurt someone for... Oh, I'm sorry. What the fuck is that? To de okay, to demonstrate bring part of city to a standstill, uh, following live updates, activists used a fire engine to hose red liquid at the facade, Jesus, I can't even read today, of the British Finance Ministry on Thursday in an attempt to draw attention to what they say was the government's failure to avert a looming climate cataclysm. The activists from the group Extinction Rebellion drove up to Treasury in a fire engine they had purchased on eBay and sprayed what they described as fake blood on the building. After the stunt, four activists, including an eighth-year-old man, stood on top of the fire engine, for which they hung a banner saying, Stop Funding Climate Death, a slogan that was also daubed on the wall of the 
imposing central London building. Fellow protesters stood at the street display, other banners with slogans such as, This is an emergency. The steps of the treasury and the street in front were soaked in red liquid, which was watercolored with food dye. David Birds, they ordered the new climate change stopping machine from Acme. <laughs> 800 horsepower diesel pump truck, 300,000. 1,000 gallons of red paint, 20,000. Internet immortality, priceless. <laughs> Woo! He said, I, sh- I can assure you I've never laughed this hard in my entire fucking life. It's so true. It's so true. But it builds all this hate as we segue. Ivanka posts a three-year-old son in a Star Wars costume. Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, loses his shit on it. You misspelled fraud. Go force yourself. People try to remind him as a child. During my break, we're ready for your Civil War II fascist. Bring it. Fuck America. That was Antifa. By multiple people. There was a hashtag. Civil War sign up. Yeah. From the left, folks. It wasn't the right. It was the left. And Jeet here, while this is going on, this sums up our media. When this is all over, every journalist in America will need a six-month vacation. I couldn't even get to write what I wanted to write, because you already know what it is. It's going to be a four- to eight-year vacation if a Democrat gets elected. That's just the way it's going to be. They don't report on shit during Dems. They report everything now. Like this. Wallpost hails how the sexy peach emoji joined the resistance. Silliness kept erupting from the Washington Post and the supermarket aisle of the fruit stand. Post writer Maura Jadinkis wrote an entire article headlined, How a Sexy Peach Emoji Joined the Resistance. If you want to understand how the peach emoji has come to represent both the potential impeachment of President Trump and a but, you must first look at ancient Sumerians. I'm not even reading it. It goes on for fucking ever. And now on the internet, they're using the peach because he's the orange one. Our Hollywood. These nasty celebs range at Agent Orange Low Life Trump. The, uh, Rob De Niro made his views clear on Monday by calling the GOP occupant of the White House such a low life who taints everyone around him. De Niro made his hostile remarks on Monday at the 57th New York Film Festival, where a new Netflix movie he is in, The Irishman, at its world premiere. Since the actor has slammed Trump ever since Republicans won the White House in 2016, his comments made no comment came at no surprise. During an interview on the scene, Variety Mark Malkin asked the actor what he thinks of the impeachment process. Hope he gets impeached, and if he has to be followed through, he's such a low life. He taints everybody around him. You looking at me? You looking at me? I don't have a De Niro, sorry. There are very few that have escaped it, and I'm amazed that so many people have not stood up to him. De Niro ran it. It's disgraceful with this guy. He has no center, no ethics, no moral. He's amoral, immoral. He just, and the people around him, no good. They're not a good. Spike Lee talks shit. Mm-hmm. Called him Agent Orange. Which, once again, that's what was used on our fucking soldiers. But, of course, these same fucks were protesting it. Zach Parkinson delays us to the next. Because this also builds for impeachment. And I'll get to my point on the backside. Thread. 
ICYMI yesterday, there were some pretty mind-blowing things that Democrats said at MSC Gun Forum. First up, Camilla Harris endorsed confiscating as many as 10 million guns in the U.S. Yulian Castro lumped on our national police in with mass killers and criminals saying police violence is gun violence. Elizabeth Warren endorsed a limit on how many guns in America could buy to prevent people from bulking up in the middle of a crisis, whatever the fuck that means. She then suggests these people should be flagged off law enforcement for no other reason than legally purchasing guns. Joe Biden said he would set up a federal registry not only for some rifles but also for individual magazines. And then Castro said, hold my fucking beer. I'm going to fuck you on ammo, and Warren was directly asked about the Second Amendment, and she shrugged. Oh, well. Not to be missed, because she's not in the soundbite. Camelia Harris, America continues to be shot and killed, while Mitch McConnell refused to bring gun safety to vote the floor. So it's conservatives' fault that our mental health is totally fucked in America. Here's who we have as an option to vote for instead of Trump. That. The other thing is, you know, Craig, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, when I think about Chicago, I also think about Laquan McDonald and the fact that especially so many uh, young black men and young Native American men, Jason Perro is a good example of this, um, you know, fall victim to state violence, to police violence. Police violence is gun violence also. And um, meantime, and meantime, go out and eliminate the ability to purchase and or make any more of these assault weapons, period. Now, there's a third thing we do. Under the Firearms Act of 1934, there's a situation where when they outlawed machine guns, they said, okay, you can continue to have the machine gun if you own it, but guess what? you got to let us know you have one. you got to let us know you have one. National Firearms Act. you got it. I want that for all assault weapons. I want that for magazines because that, what happens is if we know you have one, the likelihood of that ever being used in a commission of a crime after a voluntary buyback is highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. And there's so many... I also have proposed with regard to ammunition an increase in the excise tax uh, on ammunition and guns up to 20% and then taking the six to $700 million of revenue that we would garner from that and investing that in gun violence prevention programs throughout our country. Uh, so... Uh, you know, I also uh, believe that we should have uh, better ways to track ammunition as well. Um, so uh, we talk a lot about guns, but what we do with ammunition, just physically and then also the way that we tax it, is also part of the solution. You want to make ammunition more expensive. I do. And, and you also want to figure out a way to, to track bullets better, correct? That's right. Not to oversimplify the plan. That's right. First question that I asked uh-huh. you about limiting limiting guns. So one of the things that helps accomplish, at least as best we can understand the data, is that it keeps people from bulking up in the middle of a crisis, uh, and and serves as a flag. If someone look at some of these folks who've gone out and bought a whole lot of guns at once, I kind of like to know about that and say there's actually going to be a federal limit on this. Is it going to solve the problem all by itself? No. Does it survive constitutional scrutiny? Yeah. Can, can you can you limit a, a... <laughs> No question. No, but they're so extreme. Here's Talib, it's not on guns, 
But it's along this line that they think America's so evil, law enforcement eagle, evil. I mean, AOC, mass incarceration are American reality. It's a system whose logic evolved the same lineage as Jim Crow, American apartheid, and slavery. To end it, we have to change. That means we need to have real conversations about decarceration, a prison abolition in this country. Prison abolition in the country. Yesterday morning, I spoke to a woman who, who was thrown in Rikers as a teenager, put in solitary confinement for months, a.k.a. torture, force-fed pills. The condition was so bad, she, too, had to drink out of toilets. A cage is a cage is a cage, and humans don't belong in them. So they want to take your guns. They don't want anybody to go to jail. Well, unless you're conservative, because here's Tlaib. We're going to arrest them, motherfuckers. And say to them that when Kennedy is issued, that if they think they're not going to move on, they have fed marshals that will hunt them down and all that. So let me tell you, this is pretty, and this is last caucus conversation we had. Deeply unprecedented. This is the first time we've ever waited like this. So they're trying to figure a joke. They're trying to figure out, well, DC police that goes against them? No. What are we hoping? This is the kind of, like, I'm not in those kinds of conversations. I'm asking, like, you know, what, what happens? But, well, Rashida, we're trying to figure it out because this is uncharted territory. I'm sorry, I know, but no. I'm telling you, they, 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 they're trying to be like, we're going to put them? Or we're going to hold? No, I mean, those are the kinds of things they're trying to tread carefully. I mean, this is, I don't like you all. I ask the same questions. It happens when they don't comply. I mean, the fact is, I, we held bar and Terry Ross from Commerce, the Secretary of contempt. Well, what happens? They continue to not comply. And everybody told them, we're like, we haven't had this ever happen before. So I just want you to know I will relay to I will tell them they can hold off those people. We'll take care of them. Uh, and we show up to the committee hearings. We want to just make sure they come show it right. I'll make sure they... In that clip, it's Trump. But later you'll hear they want to arrest everybody. There's a plan. It's more It's more than anything I've ever heard come out of a party. They not only want to take guns, they want to make you fucking live the life they want you to live. They don't want you to have a car, they want you to have a cave, they don't want to use AC. And they want straight up liberal rule. I got a soundbite coming up in the impeachment, they want to impeach Pence. I mean, seriously, these people are out of fucking control. And if you don't toe the line, you get articles like this. It was a football game. Talk about the end. My mighty Packers beat up on, well, the score doesn't look like it, but and they beat up on the fucking Cowboys. Ellen DeGeneres was with Bush. Yes, that was me at the Cowboys game with George W. Bush over the weekend. Here's the whole story. And she had to fucking explain. We'll play it. Here it is. Here's her explaining why she was smiling and talking to George Bush, because you're not supposed to do that. Weekend. I know it's Tuesday. Sometimes I like to ruminate on things all day Monday so that on Tuesday you you hear about it. Um, So uh, this weekend I went to Dallas uh, for the Cowboys game. And, uh, yeah, so uh, thanks. And um, it may not seem like a big deal for a celebrity to attend a football game, but uh, I never leave my house, so it is a big deal. I, I go through the drive-thru at Wendy's, so I only have to see one person. I'm, 
that kind of person. So there were 100,000 people in this stadium, beautiful stadium, by the way, that Dallas has. Um, so Portia and I were invited by Charlotte Jones. She's the daughter of Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, we went because we wanted to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> so, so anyway, so we get to sit in this very fancy suite because, you know, he owns the, the whole place. So his suite is, is fancy and he's got fancy friends. And I don't mean fancy like real housewife fancy. I mean like fancy. Look, this is, I took a video of who, who was next to me. Charlotte Jones, uh, Portia was talking to, and George W. Bush, and then in front of us was the tallest man in the world. And, um, so I've got to say, uh, when we were invited, uh, I was, you know, I was aware that it, I was going to be surrounded with people from very different views and beliefs, and I'm not talking about politics. I was rooting for the Packers, and uh, get this, everybody in the Cowboys suite was rooting for the Cowboys. And so I had to hide my cheese hat in Porsche's purse. And um, don't get me wrong, I, I, I like the Cowboys. I love the Cowboys. I love all the village people, as a matter of fact. Um, but, but Aaron Rodgers is... Okay, I can't continue on because I fucking hate that lady. But the point is, she had to explain why she would be nice to him. Because remember, on the far, far left, they may at times go, well, uh... You know, wish we'd go back to Bush, or Bush doesn't look that bad, or H. Bush doesn't look... They still fucking think he's a war criminal. And then there's Demi Lovano, apologizing for a recent trip to Israel. The singer has also disabled the comments on her Instagram pics from Israel, because people lost their minds. I'm extremely frustrated, accepted a free trip to Israel in exchange for a few posts. No one told me there would be anything wrong with going, or that I would possibly be offending anyone. With that being said, I'm sorry if you've been hurt or offended... That was not my intention. Sometimes people present you with opportunities and no one tells you the potential backlash you could face in return. This was meant to be a spiritual experience for me, not a political statement. And now I realize that it hurt people. And for that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have religious beliefs. I am so sorry. I mean, it goes on forever because they hate Jews. They cloak it in Israel. And then... Then you have the whole ice thing. Alright? This is all building to a point. We're going to get to the point. Uh, fucking Julian Castro escorted mother... Julian Castro escorted LGBTQ and disabled asylum seekers across the border. Presidential candidate Julian Castro on Monday escorted a group of asylum seekers across the border, bridged to his native Texas from Mexico, where they had been sent under Trump administration, remain in Mexico policy. Walking across the bridge... See how they write that? He didn't specifically say just gay people... No, they couldn't come over. They're not asylum seekers. There's no, nobody's killing gays in Mexico. Walk across the bridge of Castro, with Castro, were nine gay and lesbian asylum seekers from Cuba, Guatemala, and Honduras, as well as a deaf Salvadorian woman and their three relatives. All had earlier tried to cross here with a lawyer after being returned to Mexico to wait court hearings, and all had been sent back by U.S. Customs Office. Some have already waited four months. The asylum seekers said they knew they were taking a risk. They could be returned to Mexico or placed on long-term detention. Breaking. We just heard the terrible news that all 12 were sent back. But once again, fuck law. Fuck laws. 
We write our new laws. It's now illegal in New York City to threaten to call ICE on someone or tell them to go back to your country. This is like the missionary law. Alright? In most states, you're only supposed to get your swerve on in the missionary's position. You start doing some doggy, somebody sucks some dick, you can go to jail. Those are blue laws that don't come off the books, folks. Nobody enforces them. But now you're going to enforce. Go back to your own country. I'm calling ice on you. You can't even speak the way they don't want you to. And God help you if you help ICE, Fairfax County police officer facing disciplinary action for cooperating with ICE. Chief Edwin Rosslier writes, the officer that contacted ICE agent that was listed as a point of contact on the confirmation of the warrant, the ICE agent advised the officer that they were close by and responding to the location of a traffic crash. The FCFD officer then issued an uninformed summon to the driver for not having an operator's license. The driver signed the summons. However, the officer then decided to detain the driver through a custodial detention and turn the custody to the ICE agent. As a matter of full transparency to our community, our police officer violated our long-standing policy and deprived a person of their freedom, which is unacceptable. What freedom? They're not citizens. The Constitution does not apply to them. But with these nut jobs, most illegal crossings in 12 years, Border Patrol took 851,000 into custody during fiscal 2019. And you can bet my fat ass, my fat ass, twice that number, 800,000 people got in this country. To liberal states who will then get this. Representative AOC unveils bill that would give federal benefits to illegal aliens. A just society provides a living wage, safe working conditions, and health care. A just society acknowledges the value of immigrants to our community. A just society guarantees safe, comfortable, and affordable housing. What fucking world are you? This is that socialism shit. Everybody gets a chicken. Everybody gets a pot. By strengthening our social and economic foundations, we're preparing ourselves to embark on a journey to save our planet. The package has six parts. One, the Place to Prosper Act will prevent year-over-year rent increases of more than 3%. Two, the Uplift Worker Act would mandate the Department of Labor create a worker-friendly score considering factors such as paid family leave, 50 minimum wage, and union membership. Aha, union, you catch it? Three, the Mercy and Reentry Act would grant public benefits to those convicted of criminal offenses. Four, the Guarantee the Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights for All Act does well just that. Five, the Recognized Poverty Act orders the Department of Health and Human Services to adjust the federal poverty line based on location. And six, the, the Embrace Act would allow illegal aliens to claim the same welfare benefits as all U.S. citizens and legal immigrants. They get everything free fucking 99. The Democratic Socialists of New York acknowledge that the legislative package faces an uphill battle. I don't think there's any shortage of obstacles that aren't ahead of us because those racist motherfuckers. What? What the fuck, man? You just come here and get everything for free. Fuck the people that are here. 
Fuck those people living in trailers, barely paying your rent, working two fucking jobs to pay the fucking Affordable Care Act premium that wasn't free for you. Yeah, fuck those motherfuckers. We're going to give everything to the people that might vote for us. For a sanity break, which is insane, here's Rachel Maddow. I just wanted to throw this in somewhere. We're not political at MSDNC. And listen to Ejon, uh, Ejon Dion, whatever the fuck his name is. Listen to this bullshit. Conservative media dominates liberal media across the board. And ratings, their viewers are more loyal. I know that you were friends with Roger Ailes. Mm-hmm. What do you think was the key to conservative success and conservative brilliance in Fox News that, again, they just they just lap you guys and <laughs> still do. And that's your own verbiage that you used one time on Bill Maher. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, I'm not. There's no I don't think there's any shame in it. Listen, I'm, I was in talk radio before I was ever in TV. And you want to talk about conservative domination. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Talk radio. I mean, part of it is that the conservative media world has set itself up as you can only come to us don't believe anybody else everybody else is against you we're the only people who will tell you anything that you need and you should not read the paper and not trust any other sources of news and when you kind of lock in an audience like that even if you don't have a majority of the country listening to you or watching you you get them uniquely and you get them all day long and you get them passionately now i don't think that's good for the country because i think you end up giving people in a single stream news source in a way that's not great Right. I think in the rest of the media, you know, we're always bringing on people from different papers and, can, you know, I, I cite Fox News reporting on my show and stuff. Like, you know, I'll take reporting from anywhere. I don't care. It seems like they have a more simplistic point of view. Well, it's more of a political operation. I mean, that was one of the things I learned in getting to know Mr. Ailes. And it's not like we hung out or anything, but mm-hmm. I talked to him about the business. Mm-hmm. And he really approached the business as a political operative who was trying to get Republican mm-hmm. candidates elected mm-hmm. and trying to move the Republican Party to the right. And he was running that as a constant campaign. I'm telling you, the people People who are run, running MSNBC are not running a constant political campaign. No. They're just running a TV network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you don't have that same ideological drive, I think you end up producing a different product. We're sort of doing two different things. But I don't think that Mr. Hannity and, and, and myself are doing parallel shows. No. I think we have different projects. But they're in disarray now. Um, so bravo. Our Washington Post colleague, our great uh, media critic Margaret Sullivan, said the mainstream media must end its addiction to both sides journalism, which gives falsehoods the same opportunities as truth. And I think you're seeing that now. I think we should be all for... Uh, all sides journalism, there are often more than two sides to mm-hmm. a question. When people have legitimate fact, fact-based arguments against each other, but truth cannot be given uh, the same uh, level of coverage as falsehood, we shouldn't make them equivalent. And there are moments in politics when one party has an interest in the truth and the other party has an interest in falsehood. President Trump lies. It's not partisan for the media to be partisan toward the truth, but it can look like that if one side of the argument, as President Trump has shown, needs to tell lie after lie after lie. But I think it's worth reiterating. Objectivity does not mean both sidesism. Right. That that. That's I think what I'm saying. Yeah, yes, exactly. I, I, I just I, want to reiterate uh, that. Right. Uh, but you know, yeah. but I am for real debate. But yeah. not real debate when something based in truth. Based in truth. Based in truth. You see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. We don't have. Both side journalism, folks. We haven't had both side journalism since the dear one Obama, Barack Hussein Obama ascended on high to heal this country and divide it into little itsy bitsy demographics that hated on each other. They don't know anything but 
their bubble, which believes, like AOC, Greta Thunberg, anybody who goes to Israel, it all ties in. It all comes from our media who pushes it. Most of everything we're going to cover in the impeachment, it is media-driven. It's not even the Democrats, because they know they got a nothing burger. David Brooks this week conjures up imaginary Trump supporter for fake interview. Suppose you need an interview a Trump supporter for a New York Times. Well, you certainly can't look to your own staff for such a person, because they don't exist to the almost total lack of political diversity at the newspaper. Even the conservative there are never Trumpers. So what do you do when your Trump supporter needs to be found for interest interview? Easy. Just invent such a person and then stack the deck against him during the completely imaginary interview. That is exactly what David Brooks did on Thursday and why Trump voters stick with them. The subtitle, An Imagined Conversation with a Flyover Man. Yeah, that's what I call it here. Flyover. They don't know nothing about you. They don't care about you. Reveals that Brooks did not have to yeech endure actually having to be in the presence of someone he would consider to be deplorable. Now watch Brooks stack the deck with the greatest of ease by putting words in the mouth of the Trump supporter who only exists in his ivory tower mind. Urban guy. Hope you read the through rough transcript of the Trump phone call with the Ukrainian president. Trump clearly used public power to ask a foreign leader to dig up dirt on his political opponent. This is impeachable. I don't see how you can deny facts in front of your face. Flyover man. I haven't really had time to look into it. There's always some fight between Trump and the East Coast media. I guess I just try to stay focused on the big picture. The big picture is, we knew this guy was a snake when we signed up, but he was only one who saw us. He was the only one who saw that America we love is being transformed in front of our eyes. Good jobs, we're hardworking people, we're gone. Our community's in tatter, our kid's in trouble. And I have one shot at change, so I made a deal with the devil, and you have to made it up too. Nothing in this speech makes me rethink this bargain. If people like you are unable to acknowledge my dignity and see my problems, I'll stay with Trump. Do you see what Troop Brooks did there? First, he makes the Trump supporter, Flyover Man, appear to be ignorant about the transcript due to having the time to look into it, or even able to read, for fuck's sake. Says, remember, we're all uneducated dumbasses, so saith Chuck Todd. Um, the time to look into it, then admitting that Trump was a snake, which didn't matter to him since he made a deal with the devil. Again, a reminder, this is all Brooks stacking the deck with imaginary words, not a real person. The rest of the interview falls in the same stack deck vein. Urban Guy makes the usual lecture about Constitution, public morality, and actually ends with Captain Flyover saying, See you in hell, brother. As you can guess, this imaginary interview with Phantom Trump supporter got a lot of criticism, and David Brooke even tweeted defensively about it. His tweet, I checked Twitter today and saw the last column got some criticism. From the record, I visit four states a week. In the last two, it's been Kansas, Missouri, Texas, Massachusetts, Illinois, New York, and Georgia. And my columns stink. It's not from the lack of contact with Trump followers. Really, David? So if you think you have a lot of contact with Trump supporters, why did you not interview a real one? Why? Because they don't want to. You're uneducated. You're stupid. You don't buy into all this shit. This shit is so out of hand. If you rewind the clock, Trump was saying the deep state was going after him. Super Trumpers were saying it's all about the deep state. As we go to a music break and we come back in to impeachment frenzy, Here is a New York Times writer admitting there is a deep state. And it's there to protect us, the American people in democracy, and red, white, and blue that we want to turn into a hammer and sickle socialism where everybody gets free everything from actually following the Constitution. 
and having conservatives in power. That's what the deep state is. And that sums up our media in a nutshell as we go into this fucking craziness. It's interesting that you really tackle this issue because deep state is one of these phrases that really wasn't in our political lexicon until a few years ago with President Trump. And his central allegation is that there's people inside these government agencies actively working against him. What did you find? Well, you you meet these characters in my book. And the fact is, in a sense, he's right. There is a deep state. There is a bureaucracy in our country who has pledged to respect the Constitution, respect the rule of law. They do not work for the president. They work for the American people. And as Comey told me in my book, thank goodness for that, because they are protecting the Constitution and the people when individuals, we don't have a monarch, we don't have a dictator, they restrain them from crossing the boundaries of law. What Trump calls the deep state in the United States is protecting the American people and protecting the Constitution. It's a positive thing. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Had at least two objectives. Get a meeting with the president and get more military help. And so what happened on that call? Zelensky ingratiating himself and enlist the support of the president. He expresses his interest in meeting with the president of the country, wants to acquire more weapons from us to defend itself. And what is the president's? Well, it reads classic organized crime shakedown. Shorn of its rambling and in not so many words, this is the essence of what 
the President We've been very country, very good. No other country has as we have. But you know what? I have reciprocity here. I hear what I have a favor I want from you. And I'm going to say this only times, so you better listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent under Civit. On this and on that, I'm going to put you in touch with people, and not just any, put you in touch with Attorney General of the United States, Minoral Bill Barr. He's got the whole weight of the American law enforcement behind him. And I'm going to, Rudy, you're going to love him, trust me. You know what I'm asking, and so I'm only going to say four times, in a few more ways. And by the way, again, I'll call you when you've done what I asked. This is character what the president was trying to communicate with the president of Ukraine. It would be pleasant such a graphic portrayal of the of office. But to represent a real betrayal, there's nothing that is here that is in America's interest. It is instead the potential form of tragedy. It's us to confront the remedy the founders provided for the abuse of office in Everything you just heard was fake. Totally fake. He just made up, just like David Brooks, that's why I tied it in, just make it up. They don't know. Let's just get to the goddamn facts. Both whistleblowers are Dems. Both whistleblowers have nothing, have no direct proof of shit. They don't know anything. There's been a letter from the Australian official that says it's all fucking bullshit. None of it's true. The Dems went to a meeting. It was urgent. They had to do it. It was out in the media. There was an urgent meeting. Oh, we're going to get Trump. CNN, MSNBC just fucking jacking the fuck off with Critzko. Woohoo! We got him. They come out. Oh, there's just evidence that it's the propaganda. It's all about the left because we already talked about Ukraine and Hillary working with the Ukraine to get Trump. Folks, there's no proof of anything. This is all made up. And as we'll see on the back side, none of it literally is impeachable. House Democrat says she was under enormous amount of pressure to support impeachment. Representative Debbie Dingell of Michigan, she's a Democrat, says she's put enormous pressure to change her stance and support impeachment inquiry. I was one of the most recent people to come out under an enormous amount of pressure. She told CNN Newsroom, I was the focus of ads by both Tom Steyer and MoveOn.org, but I was worried about how divided the country is, and frankly, we're continuing to see how divided it is, though you can't be divided on the rule of law, she starts hemming and hawing, but there's none of it's true. Rosie O'Donnell, a poll, should Trump be impeached? 58 said no. And then they're rolling out ones that are totally left-leaning that's saying, over 50% of the country do say it, but when you break it down, it's not, no, there's nothing there. There is, he's bad. But him not literally impeachable. The D-listers, all the Hollywood, Trump derangement D-listers announced Hollywood Impeachment Tax Force. 
Task Force. On October 4th, various le- 4th, various left-wing Hollywood celebrities and the Democratic Coalition announced the creation of an impeachment task force. According to Newsweek, the study group of liberal activists from La La Land are hell-bent on holding President accountable for the betrayal of Americans. Who's on the task force? Tom Arnold, Deborah Messing, Alyssa Milana, Rosie O'Donnell, Ron Perlman, and George Taki. This motley crew would be better described as the Trump's derangement D-listers for the way they regularly be clown themselves on Twitter about politics. And now they're a task force. With the creation of the team unhinged celebrities will now be able to feel like they're angry exclamation point filled tweets with clapping emojis and doing something to resist Trump. The task force plans to spread hashtags and streamline impeachment information, combat disinformation, and reach out to Congress with letters and phone calls. The celebrities also will be heavily involved with video conference, conference calls, and amplify the message to a Trump level on Twitter. Was this used in the media? No. They didn't even cover it. CNN is refusing to air Trump campaign ad pushing the Biden Ukrainian claim. They won't even do it. They're not going to do it. They're making sure the ad won't play because it's in airports and the facts may get out there. And we can't have the facts get out that there's more proof that Biden and his son, and Hillary worked with Ukraine to get Trump. There's more proof of that. Concrete proof. Not Democrat deep state people, and I can't believe I used that word, making up what they heard, just like you heard with Schiff. But in this soundbite, you won't hear it. You hear them worried about armed, crazy Trump sycophants coming in and helping him not leave. What can we tell the kids? The babies that we want to eat. What about them and democracy? They don't even talk about both of them are Dems. You'll hear Todd lose his goddamn mind. You'll hear Snuffburger tell Pelosi how to make it palatable to the normal people. And then you'll hear MSDNC go it all. Right? Only they understand. Liberals understand this stuff because you flyover people are fucking stupid. And as long as we start throwing fucking members of Trump's cabinet in prison, there's nobody that can stop us. We're unstoppable. He's got to go. I mean, I don't think there's anyone around this table or anyone watching at home who thinks whether President Trump is impeached or if he's uh, not reelected, that he will go quietly. And so that's the context in which you hear this coup talk and you hear this civil war talk. Yeah. What will the president do, really, if he's not reelected, if he's impeached? I remember sitting here in this studio on Election Day 2016, and we had Don Jr. on the show, and we had to ask the question, will your father respect the results of this election if he in fact loses and he said yeah yeah of course he will we didn't have to find out the answer to that because president trump won of course but there are real concerns about what happens the day after if president trump is impeached or if he loses his re-election bid because this is a president unlike any other george w bush won't talk about president obama president obama has been relatively quiet about president trump do you really think president trump is going to go away and be quiet no way He won't go quietly into that dark night, no doubt about that. I do think that the institutions will hold. I I still remain 
very optimistic about that, probably more optimistic than others, certainly more optimistic than my wife. Uh, but the president and his allies have attacked the whistleblower's credibility, claiming the person relied on secondhand information. The entire whistleblower complaint is based on hearsay. But the intelligence community's inspector general, who was appointed by President Trump, says that is not true. He says the whistleblower filed the complaint claiming to have personal and or direct knowledge of events or records involved, in addition to information from other people. The inspector general says that's one of the reasons he found the complaint credible. And indeed, the whistleblower's own description of that conversation between President Trump and the president of Ukraine matches the record of the call released by the White House. And Cecilia, you've reported the whistleblower's lawyer has said the president's words are putting his client at risk. Yeah, David, they say they have serious concerns for their client's personal safety. House investigators, you know, have reached a deal to meet with this whistleblower. As Democrats say they want to take every precaution to protect the person's identity. A date for this meeting has not yet been set, David. I was having this conversation with yeah. a producer, and she, and she made a great point. She said, how are we going to explain this to people in 20 years? How, when they ask us, how did this pass as I we okay, so when, the, when our democracy is in flames and some of these people are sipping their coffees in the morning like everything is just fine? The answer, oh, is, is, not a problem. The answer well, is impeachment. The answer is Congress does its oversight job, which is their constitutional duty to impeach this president for these actions. That is the answer well, that we tell our children 20 years from now. And That's I the think, answer. But I think that, um, and I think you've even conceded that since it got to the House, that's one thing. But even Rachel Maddow yesterday said she doesn't think that he's going to leave office through that, through that vacuum. Well, then but, the Senate has I, to answer to their children because, and grandchildren. And that they won't, but they don't care. But, you know, the problem but, is nobody's you know, thinking about legacy and nobody's thinking about children and grandchildren because they're thinking of a re-election in you know, 14 months. And that's, and that's cowardice. It's putting politics and party well, over country. Democrats and Republicans are returning home to face constituents who, like journalists, want answers, like Amy Haskins, who pressed Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst at a town hall about her unwavering support for the president. Where is the line? When are you guys going to say enough? You still stand there silent, and your silence is supporting him and not standing up. Donald Trump's pathologies have gotten worse, his behavior's gotten worse, his uh, illegal conduct has gotten worse. This was inevitable. It was always going to happen. I think what the people like Joni Ernst made their mistake is that they hitched their wagon to him early on, and they thought that he wouldn't be as bad as he, um, as he is. It's painful to watch because she knows that she's acting against her uh, conscience. Uh, she's putting her, her, her political uh, interests and survivability above, above what she knows is right. And watching somebody wrestle with that is is painful it helps to be a sociopath like donald trump where you actually have no objective moral standards and therefore your conscience is never uh, troubling you okay but historically brett when you look at sociopaths they are what they are it's the sane enablers around them that people really start to question so with things having as gone as far as they have can mitch mcconnell stay in the turtle shell to a certain degree Trump can't help himself with any of this, right? I mean, he, he can't resist the fight, the Twitter spats, the media spats. He can't resist being the headline. There's also like a very strategic effort here, which is complicate the narrative, make everything just seem harder, it, put people in a position where it becomes harder to understand who's telling the truth, who's being more outrageous, make everything seem just a little more chaotic to the point 
uh, where if you're voters, you actually you, you either tune out or just decide you don't know who to believe, or if you're a lawmaker, you just you you, you basically have cover with your constituents. Because they feel like they don't necessarily trust the media. They feel like they don't necessarily trust the Democrats. I think if you have been watching our network or if you've been reading the New York Times or the Washington Post, I think uh, the, the, the sort of sins of the president make a lot of sense. And, and it's sort of very easy to understand everything that he has done wrong. But let's not forget there's a wide swath of the country watching Fox News or a wide swath of the country that doesn't believe anything that's printed in the pages of the New York Times or the Washington Post. The more fuel he can add to the fire, the more he can give those networks, their viewers, their readers, uh, the opportunity to just tune all of this out. I think the president knows the argument that can be made against him, and he's scared. And so he's trying to divert attention from that to uh, standing in the way of legislation. You say he's scared. You know, he had another tweet right after the one I just talked to you about where he used a word I'm not going to repeat right here. Did you hear the fear in his voice when you spoke with him on the phone last week? In both the Nixon and the Clinton cases, the House passed a formal resolution to set up the inquiry. Why not take that step right We could. Now? We don't have to, but we could. I mean, you know who was most afraid of that vote coming out? The Republicans, because they're going to have to decide. Wouldn't that make the process even more airtight? Or has this process passed the point of no return? Is an impeachment vote inevitable in the House? This was not the first time the president has suggested that if things do not go the way he likes, uh, if he is not allowed to govern or lead as he sees fit, uh, that there could be an uprising. And his words uh, infer that it could be led by his supporters. And there's been some concern about that because this uh, has been interpreted as perhaps uh, the president affirming or encouraging uh, those who feel victimized and disrespected to rise up and act out and put Push back, even if violently, by any means necessary. The incitement to violence that underlies much of what the president has been saying. I mean, we're in the 30th anniversary year now of Tiananmen Square, a moment when, which we're seeing replayed out on the streets today, when a government cracked down on people protesting. And I'm concerned personally that if the president continues this rhetoric, it might start drawing people to Washington, it might start drawing heavily armed people to the National Mall to protect their president, to protect their interest. And that's a recipe for Disaster. You think that some of this president's rhetoric could be uh, seen as, a, as a, a, a call to action, a call to arms even? Entirely possible to think of a scenario where President Trump simply refuses to accept the will of the Senate or of the electorate in 2020 and begins to ask his supporters to come rally to his side. Oh, that's a scary thought uh, on a number of levels. I don't say this lightly. But let's be frank, a national nightmare is upon us. The basic rules of our democracy are under attack from the president. We begin tonight with a series of admissions by the president that all but assures his impeachment in the House of Representatives. It's a moment of truth for Republicans, and they've been largely silent on what we've seen from the president. Today, he publicly called on two foreign governments to interfere in the presidential election by investigating his chief 2020 political rival. So what you just heard is a public admission of the allegations at the heart of the House's impeachment inquiry and at the heart of the whistleblower's complaint that the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is using the power of his office to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 election while doing it relying on a debunked conspiracy theory or two. By the way, this is not hearsay. This is not a leak. This is not a whistleblower complaint. It's not a memorandum of a phone conversation. You heard the President himself do it on the White House lawn. This moment should arguably be a national emergency. The Founding Fathers would have considered it a national emergency if the President publicly lobbied 
multiple foreign governments to interfere in the next ele election. And yet there has been virtually no condemnation from the president's party at all on this remark, which is remarkable considering the precedent it would set and the lasting damage it would do to our democracy. It's tough to say lightly, but this is the moment that we're at. Let's have a conversation about all of this. Andrew McCabe is a CNN contributor and former FBI deputy director. So, Andrew McCabe, a pleasure, sir. Welcome back. You, you were one of the top officials who made sure the Russia investigation was opened. You were at the top levels. They're investigating you and your colleagues. Do you find Bill Barr's travels problematic? And, and in your decades with the agency, have you ever heard of anything like this? No, no, I sure haven't heard of anything like this. Um, it, there's a, there's a two primary questions that I think you have to ask here. The first is, why is he doing this at all? The circumstances uh, behind the opening of the Russia case are not a mystery. Uh, I have testified under oath about them as early as December of 2017. To, to add to your two examples, something that we were wondering also is, Bill, is Bill Barr doing this for the sole purpose of pursuing Trump's conspiracies? Because it's just worth reminding everyone that this is the guy who wrote that you know unsolicited memo to the DOJ just last year saying that he That's thought right. the Mueller investigation was, quote, fatally misconceived, and that was before he was nominated for the job. You know, that's a great question, Brooke. On this rare and public response, the, the Office of Inspector General, uh, the, the ICIG, uh, again, a Trump appointee, debunked multiple conspiracy theories being spread by this president and, and his allies and the right-wing media. And when we use this word unprecedented, it feels like on a daily basis. But, but <laughs> tell us, Andy, I mean, seriously, how, how extraordinary is this? It is... Uh, I'm running out of words here as well, Brooke. It is, it is truly extraordinary. Um, the opinion or the statement that he released yesterday is remarkable for its candor. The legal analysis, uh, to my uh, estimation, is bulletproof. Great insight. Andy McCabe, thank you so much. Good to have you Thanks. on. At no time, according to the committee, did Mr. Schiff learn about the substance of the complaint. So here is a statement from Patrick Boland, the spokesperson for Adam Schiff, spokesperson for the committee, as conveyed to Hill producer Alex Moe. So he says this, the whistleblower contacted the committee for guidance on how to report possible wrongdoing within the jurisdiction of the intelligence community. At no point did the committee review or receive the complaint in advance. So in that press conference we just saw where the question was conveyed to President Trump that Adam Schiff might have had advance notice of what the complaint was about, the question was completely misrepresented, and it teed President, up, President Trump up to make the claim that Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, had some hand in writing it, which is completely patently false, according to the reporting and according to the statement. Well, it's a ridiculous notion, at least so far as we know at this point. Based on what we know, it's no mystery that the whistleblower wanted to reach out to the Hill and, and get it, at least some kind of a heads up on where to go. How the IG gave Capitol Hill a heads up, gave Schiff's office a heads up. Um, I think the whistleblower was concerned because, it, as we now know, it, it had been bottled up by the White House and the Department of Justice. After that report came out, they issued a lengthy statement saying that they had, had in fact, got no advance, uh, did not see in advance this complaint, saying it, quote, at no point did the committee review or receive the complaint in advance. Now, what they do acknowledge is that the whistleblower had approached an aide on the committee for, quote, guidance about the proper channels of actually filing the complaint. And according to the spokesman for Adam Schiff, uh, he says...
as we talk about what else the president doing, he's somebody who likes an opponent. And this morning it is again House Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff. The president and his allies just today calling Schiff a disaster, a sociopath, insisting he needs to resign. They're accusing Schiff of orchestrating the whistleblower complaint and questioning what he knew when, pointing to this interview on MSNBC last month. First off, have you heard from the whistleblower? We have not spoken directly with the whistleblower. Uh, we would like to. NBC's Ken Delanian is here with his new reporting out this morning. Ken, explain why the president's allies are seizing on that soundbite from Adam Schiff and what the congressman and the people around him are saying. Hallie, because it wasn't true. And Adam Schiff has acknowledged to Sam Stein, the questioner there, that that was a regrettable <coughs> lapse on his part because, in fact, his office, an aide to Schiff, did speak to the whistleblower. But it's also important to point out the sequence here, Hallie. And, in fact, there is no evidence that Adam Schiff orchestrated this complaint. Um, here's what happened. This person, a CIA officer, had conveyed his complaints to the CIA general counsel through a colleague, but then became concerned because the CIA general counsel alerted the White House, and the whistleblower thought the complaint was being mishandled. So he went, as many intelligence officers do almost routinely, he went to the Oversight Committee, the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff's office, and, and, and described in vague terms, we're told, the nature of his complaint, and the staff told him to, what they tell other people who come forward to them. Uh, go to the inspector general. You may want to hire a lawyer, but file a formal complaint, formal complaint with the inspector general of the intelligence committee, and then it will eventually get to us. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and, and the result of this, though, Hallie, was that when Adam Schiff and other members of Congress learned that the ICIG had this urgent concern complaint, but was being ordered not to send it to Congress, Schiff alone among lawmakers knew that this was a significant matter that potentially involved the president. And that's why he made a big deal about it. He issued a subpoena. He began going public. And that, arguably, Hallie, is the reason that we know more about this complaint today. So at the end of the day, yes, Schiff did get an early heads up, um, but this was handled the way whistleblower complaints normally are handled. Um, and it's not clear that he did anything wrong here, and he certainly didn't orchestrate the writing of this complaint, Hallie. Ken Delaney with that reality check there. Ken, thanks for the context. I appreciate it. But what I want to ask you about, Jill, is the people around Richard Nixon, because not, not a few of them went to prison. Can you just remind folks of who around Nixon wound up, not on the impeachment truck, but on the going to jail truck? Well, it was a big group of people who went to jail. There are a number of people who are allowing themselves to be corrupted along with Donald Trump. And the Nixon example is that Nixon didn't go to prison, but a whole lot of people around him, who you just heard Jill Weinbanks mention, went to prison because people were willing to commit the crime for him. They were willing to help him to do what he wanted done. And once you've done it, he may not have liability under that DOJ memo, but you might. Um, any one of these people could be charged with a crime, as we saw, as Jill explained in the Watergate scandal. You know, whenever you've got a public corruption investigation, uh, even at the just the, the garden variety, the kind of cases that I was involved with, when you approached people, you would often tell them, look, you can be a witness or you're going to be a defendant in this case. The choice is yours. And already, I think we're seeing people making that calculus. And I think in the coming weeks, we're going to see some people choose to be witnesses so that they don't become defendants. And we're going to learn more about this scandal. The people who were a part of the original Russiagate scandal, most of them are in prison uh, or headed there. So then the template is for Donald Trump's friends and associates and those obedient to him. He may not go to jail. We don't know what's going to happen to him. But they might.
certainly I think there's going to be a lot of folks who have real concerns right now today, even if they don't admit it, that they too will not only be under the bus, but the bus is going to roll over them more than <laughs> once. There was also a rush into the prosecution offices. It was who's going to get the best deal by being the first in. And you had John Dean and Jeb Magruder running to our offices saying, I'll cooperate, I'll cooperate. And I think that's going to start happening. And that once we get to that level of cooperation, the dominoes are going to fall. And it's going to happen fast. We don't know what information is going to come out. Dominoes are falling. This is unraveling. Two attorneys general under Nixon were convicted of crimes, not just Mitchell but Kleindienst, his successor. So Barr better be thinking about what's going to happen to him. Do you hear it? It's just hate. They fucking hate us so much. They hate anybody that doesn't think like them. They hate gun owners. They hate people that we think we should have immigration laws. They hate people who want to have babies not eat them. They hate people that fucking use cars, have fucking air conditioners. They fucking hate you, and they will put their will on you. And if you don't listen to them, and you don't change your ways, well, fuck you, you're the enemy. The media is trying so hard to spin... America wants this when they don't. And in their polls it even shows it looks more political than legal. And when the facts get out, they just don't cover it. They don't cover real corruption. And why should you expect them to? Fast and Furious, we ignored it. IRS, we ignored it. Boatloads of cash to Iran, we fucking ignored it. Benghazi, fucking ignored it. That was just the beginning of Dems trying to steal election, and then they did it this time. Hillary was working with Ukraine to get him. The media was full-fledged. They shouted Bernie, had seat fillers. None of that was ever covered. So why would we cover this? Newly revealed documents blow up Biden's Ukraine story. New report from The Hill by award-winning investigative reporter John Solomon represents details from hundreds of pages of never-released memos and documents, many from inside the American team helped the company at the center of the Biden-Ukraine controversy. That conflict with Joe Biden claimed that he pressured Ukraine to remove its top prosecutor because he's willing to weed out corruption rather than prosecutors' investigations in the company paying Hunter Biden some 600000 a year, while Byron maintains that he only strong arm maintains that he only strong arm Ukraine to replace its chief prosecutor, Victor Shokin, because the allegation of his corruption and mishandling of job, not because Shokin's investigation into what his son was doing. Solomon reports, for instance, Burmese American legal representative met with Ukrainian officials just days after Biden forced the firing of the country's chief prosecutor and offered an apology for dissemination of false information by U.S. representatives and public figures about the Ukrainian prosecutors, according to the Ukrainian government official memo of the meeting. The effort to secure the meeting began the same day the prosecutor firing was announced. In addition, Burmese American team offered to introduce Ukrainian prosecutor to Obama administration officials to make amends, according to that memo, and the American legal team internal emails he got him fired said he was told to back off the investigation into what his son was doing 
on top of it, not listed in the hill. Folks, Ukraine and Hillary, it's come out. New York Times covered it briefly and dropped it. While we're supposedly having Trump work with Putin to steal the election with $30,000 worth of Facebook ads that supposedly tipped over our very democracy, all proven false, they were really doing it. They were digging dirt on Trump. And the media reports it and drops it and lets it go. But some reporters are still trying to get out there. Here's two email. These are two sound bites. One is him losing again being asked, why'd you get the motherfucker fired? What's up with your son? And the moment of a conservative on Meet the Press tries to speak of Zork text and page text and how the FBI was not investigating Hillary and actually going after fucking Trump with a fucking quickness. Well, Chuck Todd's not going to have that. The president is clearly going after Joe Biden. His campaign is going after Joe Biden. I know that the Biden campaign is furious with the fact that the media is even covering uh, what the president is saying, Joe Biden, at all. How are they planning to fight back on all of this? What's the effect as you talk to advisors there? Well, Hallie, you you put your finger on it, which is that we've seen the Biden campaign itself has been working overdrive since these allegations first started surfacing about what the uh, president and his allies think the vice president did in Ukraine. They've been very forceful behind the scenes, especially uh, in rebutting those allegations, but also making a political case that what we're seeing here is an effort by the president essentially to pick his opponent and that they think this is about uh, a a president who fears Joe Biden. The Reno Gazette, uh, a reporter there in Nevada, has asked Joe Biden, if he expected the race to be this brutal, this was Wednesday in Reno. Would be this hard, or the attacks would be so brutal against Hunter? Yeah, I did. I did. American people know me, know who I am, and they know him. They know who he is. We're family. We've been through a lot worse. We know what real pain is. We know what real pain is. How was your role as vice president in, uh, in charge of policy in Ukraine and your son's job in Ukraine? How is that not a conflict of interest? It's not a conflict of interest. There's been no indication of any conflict of interest from Ukraine or anywhere else. Period. I'm not going to. I'm not going to respond to that. Let's focus on the problem. Focus on this man, what he's doing that no president has ever done. No president. You know, I, I have a I have my third letter into the Inspector General of the right, Intelligence Senator. Committee, asking to just confirm, just confirm. Are you investigating those leaks that Peter Strzok talked about in that right, Senator, I have no idea so again, why. No, that's, that's why, a setup that is entirely relevant Fox, to this point. Why a Fox News conspiracy propaganda stuff is popping up on here, it I is, have no idea. It is not, that is, I have no that is, idea that is, why we're exact, going here. That is, that is, Senator, because I'm this is underlying about, exactly I'm why asking, President Trump is upset and why his supporters are upset right, at the wh- news media. Oh, okay, no, this is not about the media. Senator Johnson, please. Go Can ahead. we please answer the question that I asked you instead of trying to make Donald Trump feel better here that you're not criticizing I'm not, him? I'm, not, I'm, I'm try, just I'm trying, trying to, to ask you a simple question of, very of what, made you, what made you wince. Uh, what, what is, I'm asking a simple question about you clearly were upset 
that somehow there was yes, an implication I, I was, that military was, aid was, was being frozen yes. because the president wanted the, an investigation. Why did you right, win? Because I didn't want those connected. And, and I, wanted, I was supporting the aid, as is Senator Murphy, as is everybody that went to that initial inauguration. But here's the salient point of why I came forward. When I asked the president about that, he completely denied it. He adamantly denied it. He vehemently, angrily denied it. He said, I'd never do that. So that, that is the, the piece of the puzzle I'm here to report today, that unlike, unlike the, the narrative of the press that President Trump wants to dig up dirt on his 2020 opponent, what he wants is he wants to, an accounting of what happened in 2016. Who set him up? Did things spring from Ukraine? You know, there's a good piece. We've got an oversight letter on from Politico in 2017, where, let, let, me, let me quote the article. It says, Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermine Trump. They did so by disseminating documents implicating a top Trump aide in corruption, suggesting they were investigating the matter. Uh, Ukrainian officials also reportedly helped Clinton allies research damaging information on Trump and his advisors. There is potential interference in, in the 2016 campaign. Let me campaign. ask you this. That's what Trump wants to get to the bottom of, but the press doesn't want to. Ambassador the people who wrote this article are being pilloried. I'm being called a conspiracy theorist. Uh, John Solomon's being called a conspiracy theorist because the press is horribly biased. And Trump and his supporters you know, completely understand I, that. I, I understand that the, that the a way to avoid answering a question is to attack us in the press. I'm well aware of that. No, and that's no. not where That is just sums up the media, folks. It sums it up. They don't want two sides on anything. When real facts are presented, those facts are manipulated, doctored, edited, it's been going on forever, from Planned Parenthood to the Ukraine stuff with fucking Hillary. They don't give no shits. But when two Dems come forward and say they heard a conversation that they could not have heard, and whistleblow, that is coming down from on high. Yet we were told that through the whole Russia thing. We were told smoking guns. How many fucking smoking guns were there? It's the end of everything. He's going, he's going to get fucking perp walked. And then facts come up. I got this Wednesday of last. I ignored it because of the source it comes from. But now all conservative media is reporting this. And it has audio. Audio email evidence show DNC colluded with Ukraine to boost Hillary by harming Trump, report says. The Blaze has released an audio recording. The recent obtained appeared to show Artem Sintik, director of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, admitting that he tried to boost the presidential campaign of Hillary Clinton by sabotaging Trump. The connection between Democratic National Committee and Ukrainian government was veteran Democratic operative Alexandra Cholapa, who had worked in the White House office of public liaison during the Clinton administration and then went on to work as a staffer, then a consultant for the Democratic National Committee, Politico reported. They reported this, too. Chalupa was working directly with the Ukrainian embassy in the United States to raise concern about Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort. According to Politico, she indicated that the embassy was working directly with reporters researching Trump, Manafort, and Russia to point them in the right directions. The Ukrainian embassy political officer who worked at the embassy at the time, Andriy Teneko, stated that the Ukrainians were co- coordinating an effort and an investigation with the Hillary team on Paul Manafort with, Alexand- with Alexandra Chalupa, 
and that the embassy worked very closely with Chalupa. The Blaze highlighted an email from WikiLeaks from Chalupa to Louise Miranda at the DNC. Hey, a lot of coming down the pipe. I spoke to a delegation of 68 investigative journalists from Ukraine last night at the Library of Congress, the Open World Society Forum. They put me on the program to speak specifically about Paul Manafort and invited Michael Isakoff, who I've been working with, New York Times, thank you, for the past few weeks and connected them to Ukrainians. More offline tomorrow. Since there was a big Trump component, you and Lauren need to be aware that will hit in the next few weeks. Something I'm working on that you should be aware of. The Blaze then reported that Cynic, who eventually was tried and convicted in Ukraine for interfering in the U.S. presidential election in 2016, released a black ledger on Manafort during the 2016 presidential election that eventually led to Manafort's downfall. So here it is. He is admitting to tampering with our election. Admitted working with the Hillary Clinton campaign, Glenn Beck said during a two-hour special presentation by the Blaze on Ukrainian interference in the U.S. election. He's actually convicted in the highest court in the land of Ukraine. This is all front-page news in Ukraine. While we're saying, was there anyone tampering with the election? An audio explicitly obtained by Blaze, Cynic appeared to admit that he worked to boost Clinton by harming Trump by releasing the Black Ledger. Cynic also essentially admitted that Trump was better for America than Clinton was because Clinton belonged to the establishment, which Trump focused was solely on promoting America. And here is the soundbite. First of all, in April, former Prosecutor General Lusenko, the good guy, remember, that came in after the bad guy was taken out? He decides to give an interview with Ukrainian media. And in that interview, he makes a stunning comment. Quote, I don't know how. But the Americans got an audio recording of Mr. How do you say his name? Sitnik of his conversation. Now that's the guy who ran the anti-corruption bureau. He was resting with his family and friends now and discussing how he'd like to help Hillary. Huh. So the guy who was in charge of the anti-corruption, they caught him on tape talking about how he'd like to. Well, let me play it for you. Now this is the first time, strange because it's been out in the newspapers in Ukraine. This is the first time that we know of that this has been translated by anyone in the media in English. I just want you to listen. Now, the speaker you're going to hear is Director uh, Sitnik, and this is what he said. Listen. <laughs> Я 
это травма по барабану, потому что у них система работы отчетная. И когда были выборы, за неделю до выборов, МБИ поновил расследование взноса Хиллари. Они говорят, что упал на 7%. Трамп на тяжкую перемену. Я так и могу понять, что Трамп воюет с FBI, для того, что я догоняюсь. Если бы не FBI, то не берегу президента. Они силы реплассили рейтинг на 7%. Вау, wow, wow. This is like a triple whammy. First and foremost, this is like the third time of the first time audio has come out of them working on it. It's just been bylines and New York Times covers it, political covers it, and drops it. It's not that important. Not that important at all. Just move it along. Nothing to hear. Nothing to hear here. But more importantly, that's the New York Times. They led the charge with WAPO about Russia, which there was no facts. Nobody had facts proving Russia. But they knew Hillary was working with Ukraine, a foreign country. All that press, all those headlines and front page articles and exclusive in fucking democracy dies in the dark bullshit. And they knew Hillary was with evidence that they were on the ground with them working to discredit Trump with a foreign country. And we spent three years, Russia, 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 with nothing burgers. What does that say about our media? I mean, you knew. You fucking knew. A party was doing it, and you made up a party was doing it. That's what I said at the time. Stealing the election. Won't accept the outcome of the election. Russia... It's all deflection for the Dems. It's been a snow job. It's been a shell game from Jump Street just to fucking cover for what they did. The whole time Hillary's up there saying, well, will he respect the outcome of the election? And the media's saying it. Well, they didn't respect the outcome of the Dem election for the Dem candidate. They stole that motherfucker. And then what did Hillary do? They've never accepted it. And I want you to remember... Back when this was happening to Clinton, this is how Pelosi spoke, and this is how the Dem treated a whistleblower. Today, the Republican majority is not judging the president with fairness, but impeaching him with a vengeance. In the investigation of the president, fundamental principles which Americans hold dear, privacy, fairness, checks and balances have been seriously violated. And why? Because we are here as we are here today because the Republicans in the House are paralyzed with hatred of President Clinton. And until the Republicans free themselves of this hatred, our country will suffer. 
I rise to, un to oppose these unfair motions which call for the removal of the President of the United States from office. The independent counsel knew that the President was exonerated when Travelgate, Whitewater, and Filegate, this was not fair. Indeed, it is the responsibility of any prosecutor to immediately release, re um, release information that is exculpatory. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella. I thank our chairman, Chairman, chairman Nadler, Chairman Schiff, Chairman Cummings, Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Thank you all. Madam Speaker, never before has the president been convicted by the Senate. What does this accomplish if the Senate doesn't convict? But in the 90s, when a woman named Linda Tripp Remember, she was a whistleblower against then-President Bill Clinton. Well, the media mob, well, treated this whistleblower a lot differently, and I think it's worth taking a trip down memory lane. Take a look. Friendship means different things to different people, but few people expect to have their friendship betrayed by having their private conversations taped, as Linda Tripp did to Monica Lewinsky. I cannot believe that someone who professes to be a friend could go about scheming the way that she did and, and absolutely defying and, and violating Monica the way that she did. Co-workers often viewed her as an inveterate busybody. That Has she always been a, a snoop and a gossip with a particular interest in other people's romantic lives? Um, she is somebody who's had a pattern of interest in other people's marital lives. The story of Linda Tripp's betrayal is really very unappealing and she comes off as a conniving and really not a likable person. Conniving, not likable oh, person. Imagine the media mob treating the current so-called non-whistleblower whistleblower like that. This isn't about the rule of law, folks. This is about they lost an election. They don't like that they lost the election. They have a certain way America will be, what Americans will believe, words they'll say. It's almost, and I, and once again, I, I held my nose playing a Glenn Beck soundbite. I, I hold my nose when Trump says stuff like a coup, but it is a coup. Because you're going to listen to this soundbite, and this is from MSDNC. It's more than Trump, once again. As I spoke before, they want every conservative gone. Here they talk about how they can then Trump, Trump, or <laughs> impeach Trump, then impeach Pence and put Nancy Pelosi as President of the United States. Fuck how you voted. Fuck you, the Americans that don't live like us. We know better. The only harm that I may be doing to the president is I want him impeached. I would, uh, I would, I would support impeachment. I think that um, you know we have the grounds to do it because we're going to go in there. We're going to impeach the mother. Exactly. I think we are at the, essentially in the beginning of an impeachment process. I think that there is uh, a lot of momentum towards an impeachment inquiry. Yes, exactly what I feel. Uh, I think we've already begun it. We have to get ready for impeachment with this president. The time has come, Mr. Speaker, for the House of Representatives to begin an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. It's time for us to impeach this president. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. 
if, uh, if, for instance, Donald Trump, I mean, he, you know, it's hard to imagine 20 Republicans uh, having enough courage to vote to convict, to be honest, even if they were given, you know, multiple different counts where they could vote yes and some and no and others. It's very hard to imagine it. Um, but let's say that happened. If Mike Pence were to become the head of state, Mike Pence is as deeply involved as Donald Trump is. So you really don't change anything if Mike Pence is in place and if all of the other people that were involved, all of the conspirators remain in place and you still particularly have William Barr, who is somebody who is completely now uh, out of the, the, the realm of being the, the, the public's lawyer and just actually acting as, um, we just heard Elizabeth Holtzman say, to deep six investigations against Trump and to raise investigations against his enemies. How does anything change if Donald Trump is no longer at the top of this uh, sort of, you know, web of corruption, but Pence is then at the top of it? Well, I think a couple of things happen. One, the American voters will actually see and I remain sort of a Pollyanna that I believe facts ultimately matter and that, in fact, even 20 Republican senators might come to their senses and say, the country is at risk if I don't vote this way. And the facts are clear. And I think in this case, we have very clear facts. There is, and Liz and I talked about this before the show, you could impeach Pence first. The problem is that Donald Trump then has to name his replacement. But I think that maybe a deal could be struck where he was told, if you don't make a replacement, then Nancy Pelosi does become president. And so you are going to be impeached and convicted. You need to make this replacement so that the proper party contains, uh, remains in power. Um, I also just want to add... I'm it's not about impeachment. It's not, about, it's not even about what they're saying he did now, speaking. Because you and I already know what Obama said after the election, I'm only going to do what the fuck I want, and he did. He went around to Congress and gave a bunch of money to Iran. Made a, gun, oh, a fucking arms deal. CNN's J- Tubin, a total libtard. He even says this isn't impeachable. But people keep asking the criminality of it. I know that a sitting president, we've established a sitting president, won't be charged by this Department of Justice. But right. is there criminality in this stuff? You know, I, I don't think it is it is criminality i you know obviously i've been thinking about that question is it extortion is it bribery no i think it is an issue of abuse of power and and you know going back to the federalist papers it's been very clear that impeachable offenses do not have to be crimes they do not have to be violations of the 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 criminal code but you know i don't think there is an actual criminality bribery is a crime why don't you see bribery well i mean i i don't think that you know use of federal money in this way it, it, it would counts as 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 bribery i mean you know other others may disagree i'd be interested to hear what others have to say i don't think um i, I think it is just a question of how the president exercises his power there's a lot more to talk about on the damning text messages reveal over that revealed overnight yet he would never have said that for obama Abuse of power? What abuse? Under Obama, you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. It didn't matter. It just didn't matter. So, this impeachment, once again, is they lost an election. And they're really scared, as I said in the last podcast, and I stand by it. They're really scared they're going to lose another one because of the crazy shit we played before we even talked about impeachment. I did it on purpose. So they can't let them win again. 
They must fundamentally make America a fucking socialist shithole. And they must exterminate all you people, not literally, but with all your views. Love God, shut your fucking mouth. Own a gun, you're a fucking piece of shit, we're going to take it away from you. Have babies, go fuck yourself. Use AC, suck a fucking dick. Have a fucking plastic straw, we are going to fucking beat you over the head with a dead turtle. They hate anybody who's not them. And as we talk about divided all the time, the divided is not coming from Trump, the right, conservatives, Christians, gun owners, it's you motherfuckers. So I close this segment, go to another music break, which will be Devo. And then we'll go to news and social media nuggets, which will be started by a fucking slick recruiting video for my MOS in the Army. God damn it, if they ever would have shown me this shit. I would have signed up again. Total bullshit. They don't show you the hard stuff. This is a soundbite of a Democratic representative from Michigan. And understand the backdrop on this story. A group of fucking anti-gun people posed as gun people and used a gun club to talk and discuss about gun control. But when they went in there, it wasn't about gun control. It was about confiscation. And this is a damn rep, once again, you say fuck PPFA, Planned Parenthood kills more people than fucking the common cold. You're a piece of shit. You hate black women specifically, but you hate women and you're a whole human being because we want to eat those babies. But no, wait a minute. We don't want the babies. I don't know what the fuck they want anymore because now that they want to eat babies, I guess they really don't want to kill the babies. They want to have them born, live birth, so they can sautam in a nice fucking butter sauce. But their hate of the NRA, which is once again gun owners and anybody who doesn't think like them, she just screams it incoherently. And I forgot to play it in the gun section because I forgot to put a note to play it. But this fucking shit sums up everything we just talked about. They fucking hate you. And they'll always hate you. It'll never change. I hate to say the phrase... Because I disparaged it as we went through all the shit with Trump two years ago. They're like the Taliban, man. They hate everybody. They want to take your monuments down. They want to do everything like the Taliban. The far left is just like the Taliban, man. They want everything that you associate in your life to go the fuck away. Fox 2's Randy Wimbley joining us live with more on this contentious meeting. Randy. Hey guys, I'm live here at the Multi Lake Conservation Club in Commerce, and one could argue this town hall was perhaps doomed from the start. I'm told organizers were not entirely transparent about what this town hall was going to be about when they booked it with the club, and that many club members did not find out until recently the conversation was going to be about guns and gun control. 1,163 Michiganders died through gun violence. That's one person every eight hours. The goal was to find common ground on solutions to gun violence. But organizers of a town hall on it found how wide the rift between some gun owners and pro-gun control advocates really is. This is why the NRA has got to go! 
Congresswoman Haley Stevens, State House Democratic Leader Christine Gregg, and State Rep Robert Wittenberg left the town hall at the Malty Lakes Conservation Club in Commerce Township. Many of its members are gun owners. The conversation ironically taking place in the club's indoor gun range. I think they just snuck it in here. I can tell you that the members of this gun club aren't happy about it. Local gun owners showed up to the town hall in droves, spurred in part by GOP 11th Congressional District Chair Michonne Maddox. Somehow, um, Femmes for Dems booked this event using a different name. The sweet woman that I talked to said that it said Femmes for Life in her calendar. We needed to uh, show up here and tell Haley Stevens exactly what we think about her um, gun violence um, town hall being held in a place that is a very Republican. This is a Republican stronghold that we're standing in right now. While taking questions from the crowd, Democratic lawmakers push for more gun control measures like universal background checks, a ban on semi-automatic rifles, and implementing red flag laws to take guns away from people who may be a threat to themselves or the public. I want people to understand that we are not anti-gun. We are anti-gun violence. And supporting, supporting the Second Amendment and being opposed to gun violence are not mutually exclusive. 1999, there were 2.7 million concealed pistol license holders registered in the United States. As of 2017, there are almost 17 million, so that number has grown significantly, yet crime has gone down, violent crime has gone down, homicides have gone down. Passions ran high Tuesday evening, stifling perhaps the opportunity for meaningful dialogue on one of the country's most pressing issues. Part of why this went the way it did is because you have a lot of people on the extreme end. The reaction from the people here today was starting out with the assumption, you're going to take my guts. And when you start with that and that fear, it's very hard to have a communication. We need to be part of the conversation regarding what we do about violence in this country in general. Um, many of us don't believe it's a gun violence problem, but more of a general violence problem. Now, this meeting was so intense that it was cut short, but once it was over, uh, people on both sides of this issue had a chance to talk with those lawmakers, some of them uh, individually and in small groups. Those conversations, a lot more civil, and who knows, perhaps one day it could prove to have borne some fruit. Time will tell. Hugh, Taryn? Didn't get wild in there, Randy. We understand that Congresswoman Stevens was ushered out of there. Do we know if her safety was being threatened at all? Well, when I, right after this meeting ended, I rushed over to the table to try to get an interview with uh, Congresswoman Stevens, but those on her team told me that she would not be doing any, any interviews and that they were concerned about her safety. Oakland County Sheriff deputies were here. Uh, she left out soon after that, but there were no incidents, no violence, nothing major, just a lot of uh, impassioned people on both sides of this issue.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's why they call me. Trying to get crazy with this thing. Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. military occupational specialty infantry when the u.s army is called into action infantry leads the way and to be an infantryman you must be physically and mentally tough ready to meet hostile forces supported by armor or one-on-one and for this the army will train you to fight in the field and in urban environments that may include nuclear, biological, or chemical conditions. You'll train to move quickly on foot, by armored vehicle, or by helicopter. And you'll train to use all weapons employed by the infantry. The M4 carbine rifle, the grenade launcher, the squad automatic weapon, the machine gun, hand grenades, mines, demolitions, and anti-tank weapons. Further training, based on the Army's needs, will be as infantry or indirect fire infantry. The modern-day infantryman carries out patrols, fires his anti-tank weapon, and calls for fire support as part of a close-knit fire team. The indirect fire infantryman supports his unit with mortar fire and computes aiming data for its next firing. The infantryman moves toward the enemy, across the battlefield, then dismounts to engage hostile forces face to face. After your initial entry training and advanced individual training, you will work in the field, day or night, keeping ready. You may be assigned to an infantry brigade combat team, a heavy brigade combat team, or striker brigade combat team. These MOSs can help you transition from the military to the civilian employment sector. Whenever and wherever the Army is called into action, infantry leads the way. Yeah, they didn't talk about being a fucking pack mule and walking for days, but, you know, whatevs. New eligibility rules for Arlington Cemetery would exclude most non-combat veterans. Officials are moving to limit the number of individuals eligible for burial at Arlington, restricting below-ground sites to combat heroes, battle casualties, and a small pool of notable dignitaries. Under the proposal, which still needs to be finalized through a public remaking process, rulemaking process, excuse me, some other veterans will still be eligible for storage of cremated remains at the famed site, an above-ground structure which will allow planners to additional flexibility of space in the coming decades. The movie moved by the Army, which administers the cemetery, is part of an ongoing effort to extend how long the cemetery can be used. 
Um, let's see. Only about 100,000 burial sites are left at the cemetery, tucked between the Potomac River, Potomac River and ever-growing Virginia suburbs. Expansion plans are expected to keep burials on pace until 2040, but not much past that. Under the latest proposal, 1,000 grave sites would be set aside for current and future Medal of Honor recipients. An additional, in addition to them, below-ground burials will be restricted to these other military groups. Troops killed in action to include repatriated remains, Purple Heart, award recipient of the Silver Star, combat-related service deaths, former prisoner of war, veteran with combat servants who made significant contributions to the nation's security and other government posts, former presidents and vice presidents. Spouses of eligible individuals were allowed to be buried at their loved one's plot, which is pretty normal. So, basically... I just got the boot. Because a bronze star with fee is not high enough. So, um, that's interesting. Not that big a deal. I mean, I don't plan on going there. But, then we got this crazy shit. Men in uniform wearing makeup. Soldiers in Britain may soon get the okay to have general neutral. Yeah. The glamorous rule change stems from numerous complaints of military double standards that arose after orders for personnel stationed in Canada mandated in a section on diversity and equality. The men in uniform not be allowed to use cosmetics. As an inclusive employer that recognizes the diversity of its personnel, we are currently in the process of revising our guidance in the area to make it gender neutral. Yeah, that's going to help you against those fucking terrorists. I don't know. I don't feel like fighting today. My makeup came out so bad. Navy ends permanent shaving waivers for sailors with razor bumps. For fuck's sake, this is the biggest bunch of bullshit ever. Ever! I hated that crap. People did it all the time. They always mandated things in the military, so people don't understand. They think the military is a bunch of fucking cavemen. I hate to say this. We are the testing ground for all your liberal bullshit. Always. First to do the transgender, gays, the whole nine yards. The fact of the matter is, African Americans can get away with not shaving all the time because of shaving bumps. But you and I, if you're a whitey and you shave and you got fucked up face, you just suck that shit up. You're never getting a profile not to shave. Then the big ticket one that really pisses me off. TRICARE drug costs to increase more than 40% in 2020. Prescription drug costs for TRICARE users are set to rise January 1st, some by as much as 42%. Effective January 1st, 2020, a 90-day supply of generic drugs received through the program, Excript, Spreps, Mail Order Pharmacy, will increase from 7 to 10. Copay on brand name drugs received through the mail will go from 24 to 29. The price rises from 53 to 60 for non-formulary drugs. Generic drug prescription filled at retail pharmacies will see the cost rise from 11 to 13 for a 30-day supply, while the same supply of brand name medication will increase from 28 to 33, some 53 to 60. But if you go on base, it'll still be free. TRICARE Prime users pay a 50% cost share for the drug after their point of service fee. All other users except active duty troops will pay 20% of the total cost for 29 
whichever is higher for drugs on the formulary. They will pay 20% of the cost or $60, whichever is higher, on off-formulary drugs. Active duty troops will be reimbursed for any out-of-network pharmacy fees. So basically, they're going to fuck everybody. I'm telling you, if a Democrat gets in there, my TRICARE Prime will go away. I'll, it's either that or pay a premium of what, what everybody else pays. And once again, that sounds like a whiny bitch, because here I'm the guy saying everybody wants everything for free. I served 20 years. I'm 80% disabled from that service. And when I signed up, that was one of the things. You're not going to get a huge amount of money. Our, our retirement plan is paltry compared to law enforcement, fire department, school, unions. It's nothing, dude. I'm not going to say how much money I make, but it ain't a lot for 20 years, most of away from your family, and getting shot at. That was one of the perks, and now they're taking it away. And we'll close on a fun thing. I did not go to Rambo. I was going to, but the weather was so nice down there, and I just wanted to stay with my baby on the beach. So, in place of a review on Rambo... I'm doing eight even more incredible facts about Rambo. Number one, Rambo is almost a god in Papua New Guinea. Somehow the character John Rambo has entered the folklore of the Kamula people on the island nation of Papua New Guinea despite limited access to film and television. The Rambo of folklore is said to be a gun runner who fought in the 10-year civil war in nearby Bougainville and will come back to defend Papua New Guinea in case of World War III. Wow. Two, Rambo trademark knife wasn't supposed to exist. In the book of First Blood, on which the movie and character John Rambo is based, Rambo never had a survival knife of any kind, let alone a giant one used to bring down the entire police force of Hope, Washington. Stallone added a knife for effect, hoping to make a weapon, a character, all on its own. In my old company, which doesn't exist anymore, U.S. Calvary, That was one of our covers back in the day. Three, Rambo wasn't a killer originally. John Rambo never actually killed anyone in First Blood. There's only one death in the entire movie, and that happened as an accident when an overzealous cop falls from a helicopter while shooting at Rambo. In subsequent movies, that changed, of course. Rambo body count number two is 76, 132 and three. And in Rambo, the last one, he appears to kill the entire Burmese army with a fitted cow. I swear to God, that's the closest to what a fitted cow does, folks. They're ripping people apart. Four, Stallone hated the first cut of First Blood. Didn't like it. Didn't like it, so they changed it. Five, without Rambo, there would be no Predator. With Rocky Baboa took on Ivan Drago in Rocky Four, no one in Hollywood was quite sure who Rocky's next opponent could possibly be. The joke was made that Rocky would have to fight some kind of alien in Rocky Five. After a while, screenwriter Jim and Ta- John Thomas began to take the idea seriously and wrote Rocky Rambo hybrid movie we call Predator. In Rocky Five, Rocky fought a former student named Tommy Gunn, of course. Six, John Rambo was almost played by John Travolta. That would have sucked. Seven, there is actually a John Rambo on the wall at, um, he's from Lincoln County, Lincoln County, Montana, and gave his life to save his fellow soldiers. Arthur John Rambo was an artilleryman with 11th Armored Cavalry in Vietnam. He was mortally wounded by multiple hits from a rock-propelled grenade on November 26, 1969. He and his fellow artillerymen came under heavy mortar fire nearby self-propelled howitzer, took an RPG hit, and caught fire. 
Rambo cleared his fellow soldiers out of the way and attempted to drive the vehicle, still burning away from the area where it would be a threat. He did so successfully, but the vehicle took two more RPGs, killing him. He was given a posthumous Silver Star. And lastly, Rambo commits suicide in the book. Yeah. At the very end, he's just so fucked up that he commits suicide. That's pretty fucking interesting. So, let's go to our college crazy. And we'll do it out of order, but for editing purpose, I had to get CBS in about the new big Planned Parenthood they just opened and how they're bashing non-abortion people. Because remember, we need to eat or kill the babies. That's what our media and the left believe. First on CBS, Planned Parenthood is announcing the opening of a new mega facility close to states where abortion access is restricted. The new clinic was built in secret in Illinois near the Missouri border. Missouri has some of the strictest abortion laws in the country. CBS News reporter Kate Smith visited the facility as it was being built. She's been reporting on abortion issues since last year. Kate, welcome to the Thank table. You. And start us off, what's the significance, rather, of this new clinic? I keep hearing it's ginormous and big. Exactly. So in recent months, states across the South and Midwest, they've been implementing stricter and stricter anti-abortion laws. But this new clinic is in Illinois, where the state is moving in the opposite direction. Are they getting a lot of business? They are getting a lot of business. Um, so as we said, you know, the number of women crossing the border into Illinois to seek an abortion, that's more than doubled. And their existing facilities, they just can't handle it. We were at one of those. It was in a little strip mall. You know, you had to back up in order for someone to come by. And we're going to see the capacity more than double with this new facility. Unlike most states, in Missouri, women must have two appointments with the same doctor. You have an appointment today? Yes, ma'am, I have an appointment at 10. One that includes state-mandated counseling, where Missouri law requires doctors inform women the life of each human being begins at conception, and one for the procedure itself, both separated by a 72-hour waiting period. These extra restrictions that are in place in Missouri, how do you feel about them? I feel like it's inhumane. I feel like it's degrading to women to say that, you know, I'm a 30-year-old woman and I don't, I can't decide for myself what's best for me, that I need three days to decide that. I've been thinking about this from the moment I found out. This is our time. Let us stand up for the right to life. Stronger than we've ever been. We're gaining momentum. It's almost like uh, a sleeping giant was wakened. Karen Cross is the political director of National Right to Life, the oldest and largest anti-abortion rights group in the country. In the first six months of 2019, 12 states enacted abortion bans. None of the bans are currently in effect. Are you trying to outlaw abortion? Oh, absolutely. Cross, who's had two abortions, told us she regrets her decision and believes restrictions in states like Missouri are reasonable. You don't feel like a 72-hour waiting period is a burden? I don't. Some women may do, not, not just may change their minds during that 72-hour period, but some do. Oh, gosh. Here's all the protesters. No, 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 Having gone through the 72-hour waiting period, Sarah returned to Planned Parenthood in St. Louis for her abortion. Don't be hard on yourself. 
In the waiting room, she read letters of encouragement from women who have gone through the same process. You've been through enough already. Don't get discouraged by the long way. It was worth it. This has been a really emotional process for me. It's been really hard. The people who are making these laws, what do you want them to hear from you? That I think what they're doing to women is, is wrong. Absolutely wrong. Professor, welfare of atheists and agnostics is reduced by prayers of others. See what I'm saying? You can't have an opinion. You can't have beliefs. Economics professor Linda Thunstrom led a study during which she directed victims of Hurricane Florence along with other individuals in North Carolina who had experienced other hardships to assign a monetary value to the concept of thoughts and prayers. She and her research partners, Dennis University professor Shuri Noy, asked 482 Christian agnostic and atheist victims how much they would be willing to pay for the thoughts and prayers from various sources. The study was conducted by rounding up various victims shortly following the Hurricane Florence and giving them each their standard pay plus $5. Participants were then given the option of paying to receive or not receive thoughts and prayers from Christian strangers, non-Christian strangers, and priests. The net effect on recipient welfare from thoughts and prayers depends on how much recipients received to benefit from each intercessory gesture, Thunster explained. Christian participants' questions were willing to pay $4.36 cents on average for a prayer from a Christian stranger, while they were willing to pay $7.17 for a prayer from a priest, but the non-religious group contained atheists and agnostics who were actually willing to pay people not to pray for them. $3.54 for a Christian stranger not to pray, and $1.66 for a priest not to pray. Non-religious people would pay $0.33 for a thought from a non-religious stranger, but were willing to pay $2.02 for a Christian stranger to keep them out of their thoughts. (laughs) Because they hate Christians. Good on ya! Jesus Christ, you fucking people. Professor disciplined after social media posts mocking Trump supporter students' servants. North Carolina Community College disciplined one of its department chairs after the faculty member took a serendipitous photo of a student wearing a Trump campaign gear in class and used it on social media. Johnston Community College President David Johnson confirmed to Campus Reform Wednesday that School Educational Technologies and Computer Science Department Chair Tammy Bird was disciplined after CBS 17 reported she took a photo of a student in a Trump 2020 t-shirt and published it on social media appearing to mock the student. The local media outlet reports Bird posted the photo of a student on her personal Facebook page. The station aired images showing an individual in Trump 2020 shirt with the expression, Oh my God, covering the student's face. Hardest teaching day to date, Bird captioned the photo. She also listed several hashtags including, Write what scares you and love Trump's hate. But eating babies? (laughs) You're a piece of shit for saying anything about that. Eating babies, good. Trump people, bad. Georgia professor, media must pressure Trump to resign before more people die. Yeah, because people are dying. Writing and linguistic professor Jared Yates Sexton, we've covered him on the show, made the statement along with several others on Twitter. The tweet thread begins with Sexton accusing the mainstream media of not putting enough pressure on Trump to resign from office because they are now more interested in creating entertainment ratings and cash flow. 
But they need to push against this impulse to juice impeachment for profit because Trump is going to try everything. Fox is going to try everything. Fox, all the people on Fox. And they're going to both further an injuring of societal reality and inspire dangerous individuals to kill and maim. There's a vast number of people in this. People who have been taught their whole lives that they might need to kill in case of a coup or corrupt takeover. Trump and Republicans signal to them constantly. They're more than ready to see this as the occasion. He tightens his tinfoil hat. I'm not reading anymore. Oh, you fucking idiots. Stanford strips campus buildings and names with complex legacies. What the fuck does that mean? Stanford University has now officially wiped itself clean of any major reference to California Mission System founder Father Juniper Sarah, reasoning that the historic mission system inflicted great harm and violence. Previously called Sarah Mall, the university main street will now be called James Sant Stanford Way. The Sierra Dormitory now be called the Sally Ride House, and building previously dubbed the Sierra House is now the Carol Lewis Attentive House. In 2018, a committee formed to address building named after people with complex legacies. The committee ultimately decided to remove major references to historical figures on campus because the California mission system influenced great harm and violence on Native Americans. And Stanford has several featured names for Sierra, even though he played no direct role in the university's history. All three sites and questions have now been officially renamed. The choice to name the main road after Jane Stanford comes from the fact that no campus landmarks were named after her, reported the Stanford Daily. Stanford University was co-founded by Jane Stanford and her husband Leland Stanford, and as such, the university is named Stanford University. But the university feels it's important to honor Jane specifically in this way, and will be adding the supplemental sign to the new official street, because white dude bad. That's not what they said, but that's what it is. Associate President for Campus Engagement, Matthew Tews, said the university is also pursuing new ways of honoring the contributions of Native Americans at Stanford and the fact that the university lands are homeland of the Milwaukee Oholo people and you fucking people are fucking crazy. I said it! They're the fucking Taliban! Jesus, this next one proves I'm right. Well... In the opposite. The Taliban wouldn't do this. Drag queen professor brings the nightclub to the classroom. Because God knows I want my money for my kids' higher learning to have a drag queen attached to it. Professor in lecturing and drag at various universities in order to teach students about queer nightlife and to bring the nightclub to the classroom. With one event occurring Thursday night. Tufts Theater Dance and Performance Studio, Professor Kareem Chabadadadamadada, some fucked up name, whose drag name is Lahore Vajistan. Vajistan. <laughs> Needless to say, he doesn't have a Vajistan. Is lecturing at Dysphoria, Feminism, Dance, Globalization, and Queer Pleasures at Colgate University in New York. Next Monday, students at Hamilton College in New York are invited to meet Lahora Vajistan at a college-sponsored event called Lessons in Drag, where they'll learn how critical societal theory matters in queer nightlife. 
Dr. Vagistan. <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. Your favorite South Asian drag auntie brings the nightclub to the classroom and vice versa. Reads a flyer advertising the event, which notes that the evening is being sponsored by the Hamilton Anthropology Department, Dean of Faculty in Asian Studies. Yeah, we're going to be, some anthropologists are going to be studying you fruitcakes, I'm sure. The flyer obtained by campus reform was sent to Hamilton College contacts by anthropology professor Miriam Durani, inviting students and alumni alike to show that it's set to be part lecture, part lip sync, part audience participation on the topics of Islamophobia, blackest the feminist theory, diva worship, and globalization. And it's meant to demonstrate how much drag teaches us, even requires us, to be in relation with the rest of the world. Oh, really? Among the photographs on Lahore Vajistan's Instagram profile are image of Cooper Kakandi lecturing in full drag, captioned with tags such as Lesson in Drag, Professor Life. One such image shows Cooper Kakandi in front of an image of a female reproductive system superimposed over a map of Southern Asia. Cooper Kakandi employer says that professor teaches at the intersection of performance studies and queer studies. She, he, it, university bio boasts that is addition to the professor's many academic contributions like books and accenting gay Indian nightlife. <laughs> Feminism Unbound is also a performance artist whose art extends beyond drag to include storytelling, body art, theater, and digital media. The picture is me in a dress. Dude, come the fuck on. But, you know, that's nothing. This next one, English professor Kunz, hold my beer. Tom Brady popularity due to white supremacy. I'm not saying anymore. I'm not reading this article. Yeah, it's white supremacy. Not the fact that he wins like a billion Super Bowls. No, white supremacy. Seattle Public School teaching math ethics. I'm sorry. I, that would make sense, right? That's not the word. Ethnics studies. Ask who gets to say if an answer is right. This is math. Two plus two is four, but you're white supremacist. It's nine. Math is case didn't already know is racist. This is the article. That appears to be contention of public schools in Seattle, which has offered a course for K-12 students called math Ethnic studies. The framework for the class lists multiple themes with what students will learn from those themes and important questions to be asked. The first theme, origins, identity, and agency, is defined as the ways in which we view ourselves as mathematicians and members of a broader mathematical community. I have never looked at anybody and said, are you part of my mathematical community? (laughs) Mathematical theory and application is rooted in the ancient histories of people and empires of color. So how can it be racist then? If people of color made math, well, goddamn. Oh, we're culturally appropriating math when we do our checkbook. Got it. All human endeavors include mathematical thinking from humanities to arts to sciences. The learning targets for this theme start off without a hitch, suggesting students take the class will be able to identify ancient mathematicians and their contributions to mathematics and know the continents and the countries that were and are at the core of the development of math. Then it goes into power and oppression. Oh, wait a minute. I missed a good part. Here are the essential questions of the first part. What is 
mathematical identity. Are there 99... There's an infinite amount of identities in math. Every number has a different gender. Remember that. How does it feel to be a mathematician? What other mathematicians are in the learning community? Is there an authority for math knowledge? What stories are important to your cultural connection to mathematics? What does it mean to do math? How important is it to be right? What is right? Says who? My fucking calculator, dipshit! Power and oppression. Yes, Seattle's determined that the terms exist in addition is subtraction, multiplication, and division. The theme is defined as the ways in which individuals and groups define mathematical knowledge so as to see Western mathematics as the only legitimate expression of mathematical identity and intelligence. I'm not reading any more of that shit. Last one, history of resistance and liberation in math. Reflection and action in math. Jesus Christ on a popsicle stick. Then this week, in our college world, California did the new law that everybody gets money. If you're a sport, you're getting money. Which should, I'm telling you, if I was in college athletics, I would never play a California school. Because it's no longer amateur athletics. Now, do I think they should get a cut post-college for the jerseys? Yeah, I do. Totally believe in that. Marcus Mariota lost about a billion dollars off the shit I bought myself. But it's post-college. They're getting paid to play. It's called a college tuition, free food, free housing, free books, free everything. And half the motherfuckers, if you actually listen to the Pac-12 network, they didn't learn shit in school because they don't know English. Not that I do. I'm just saying. Listen to some of those, rep- you know, sportscasters talk and you're like what fucking school did you go to what am out of you because that ain't right bro nobody talks like that but anyway so they passed this shit now so the nation magazine mocks republicans and portrays college athletes as plantation slaves that's how far we've taken that shit so if you're not for taking amateur athletics drop kicking that fucking shit and make a paper play which will ruin it it will just ruin the sport because then you'll start having unions. Because that's the next step. We're going to have fucking unions and, and collective bargaining. And fucking then we're going to take and rat fuck it that you don't actually recruit people. You offer them fucking contracts. And we'll have more Ohio State and Alabama winning national championships. And nobody will fucking watch the game anymore. It just won't happen. Fucking morons. The canceler gets canceled. Reporter who dug up eight-year-old tweets of local hero out at Des Moines Register. So that goes off our last story about the nice kid who did his little thing and said, Hey, yo, we're going to uh, refill my beer stuff. Do you remember that? And then everybody dug up his shit and his is worse. Yeah, you got fired. Okay, hand signal added to civil rights group database of hate symbols. So now you can't say okay anymore. The okay hand symbol, bowl style haircut of Dylan Roof and the happy merchant memes are among 36 new symbols added Thursday to the online database of hate symbols maintained by the Jewish Civil Rights Rights Group, which is a liberal group. The Anti-Defamation League online hate on display database, which also includes burning crosses, Ku Klux Klan robes, swastikas, and many other overt symbols of racism and anti-Semitism. Even as extremists continue to use symbols that may be years or decades old, they regularly create new symbols, memes, and slogans, and now we're going to say it's the OK hand symbol. How bad is this gone? 
Universal Orlando fires despicable me actor in a suit for making the OK symbol taking a picture. Story goes, Tiffany and Richard Zingler took their daughter, who was six-year-old at the time, of the photo, to Universal Orlando in March, when their daughter was, who was a biracial, posed with the beloved movie character, the actor can be seen making an upside-down OK symbol with his hand in a footage. The symbol has been associated with white supremacists and white power, and also the fucking circle game, you jackholes! They didn't fucking shit-canned him! Because he did an okay symbol next to a biracial kid. If that's the case, then I'm a racist motherfucker. Because everybody, regardless of race, gender, origin, or what the fuck, played the circle game with me. Fuck Matt in Oregon still fucks me long distance. Next time I meet my brother, he's going to have to hit me 400 times. He sends me a goddamn picture. It ain't fair! Should have made that a rule. Then we get the big stupid. Hey, Sean, Matt, what the fuck's wrong with your state? Urinals in Portland. Listen to this fucking shit. Urinals are the things men often use to relieve themselves in the bathroom. They come in lots of sizes and shapes, and you can find one in just about any men's restroom. But not in the Portland building, not when it reopens. The city has redesigned all the bathrooms to be gender neutral, which means urinals are banned even in the men's room. Conservative talk show host Lars Larson first told me about the change. He is outraged. I think it's ridiculous. First of all, I know that it already makes a lot of people uncomfortable. All right. Secondly, it's going to take up a lot more space. And third, anyone who's ever been to any public event, have you seen the line at the ladies' room? Do you see any line at the men's room? He's not alone in that opinion. I think it's kind of ridiculous. After all, what are they going to do? Go make everything just one thing? Actually, yes. The building's first, third, and 15th floors will have large multi-stall bathrooms that men and women will use together. Other floors will have separate men's and women's bathrooms. But every floor will also have at least one any-gender bathroom. Gender and bathroom use has been a big deal when it comes to those who are transgender or gender-fluid. But the city made no mention of that in an email to employees... The chief administrative officer wrote that the gender-neutral bathrooms are, quote, the right way to ensure success as your employer and remove arbitrary barriers in our community. And some I met on the street today agree. Uh, it's Portland, so something new, something different. Makes sense. Well, this topic has sparked quite a debate on my KGW Facebook page. Jason writes in, regardless of any social sensitivity, gender-neutral bathrooms are just a better design and more convenient. On the other hand, David writes, this has disaster written all over it. Sorry. I'd love to see what you think. Go to my Pat Doris KGW Facebook page and weigh in. I'm Back sur- to you. I'm surprised that, that Facebook page hasn't crashed yet today, yeah. Pat. People <laughs> weighing in on that. Yeah, you know, busy. it's going to be an interesting study. Let's- yeah, they're doing this. Urinals ban in Portland Municipal Building to remove arbitrary bearers and gender-neutral guests. The building will also offer large multi-stall restrooms that men and women can use together. Nothing I want to do is get next to a hot chick, even though I'm married. Oh, man, she's really pretty. I'll be in the stall next to her, and she takes a big, hairy dump. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. 
City of Portland has banned urinals or remodeled administrative building to remove arbitrary barriers in community. Chief Administrative Officer Tom Reinhardt mailed employees last February saying, we will continue to have gender-specific male and female multi-stall restrooms that are readily available to any employee that prefers to use one, but there will be no urinals in any restroom in the building. I'm convinced that this is the right way to ensure success as your employer, remove arbitrary barriers in our community, and provide leadership that is reflected in our shared values. The station added, that the city has redesigned all restrooms to be gender neutral, which means urinals are banned, even a men's room. I think it's ridiculous. Lars Larson said, and you heard the rest of it on the clip. Yeah. But that's just the tip. The tip of the stupid. Portland's new plastic policy is almost here. Here's what you should know. Oh, by the way, I missed an important thing. Hundred and ninety-five million dollars to redesign bathrooms in Portland. Hundred and ninety-five million dollars. Just to check the block on social justice retardation. Yeah. Good on you. So now the plastic policy. If Portlanders want to pack a soy sauce tucked in their takeout sushi order. They're going to need to speak up starting Tuesday. That's when the city's new plastic policy officially takes effect. And I think we're already past that. Yeah, today. Um, food and drink purveyors could face up to a $500 fine for automatically providing customers with plastic straws, stirs, utensils, or plastic packaged condiments like soy sauce or coffee creamer or ketchup, or mustard. The ordinance approved by the City Council Decembers allows businesses to provide Portlanders with these plastics, but only upon request. And the latest move by Oregon lawmakers to curb the use of disposable plastic, which overwhelms the state's landfills and litters its waterways. Portland passed its first major plastic ban in 2011, and state lawmakers followed suit this summer. But this plastic policy is not a ban. Though the city originally molded outright a prohibition, officials changed course after members of the disability rights community said that some with mobility and strength issues relied on plastic straws to drink. The city now recommends all business maintain a small supply to provide when requested. Instead of forcing a ban, officials said they want to give customers the option to forego the item. These plastics are cheap, and a lot of businesses have made it a point to just include them in whatever is happening for food and drink, and that's is by default. Pete Chisholm Winfield, program coordinator with the City Bureau of Planning and Sustainability, told OPB in December. So what we're trying to do with this policy is reset the default. The law affects nearly all food purveyors, including food carts, hotels, caterers, bars, your house, my house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. Get, get some of that. Get some of that, you fucking tards. Come on, people. Have you even used a paper straw? We went to a restaurant in... Oh! I'm going to talk about a lighter fare I'm talking about here. I went to Wahlburgers in fucking Alabama. We decided on one of our days to go over to uh, the Redneck Riviera, which, by the way, Orange Beach got some beautiful hotels. And there was a Wahlburger there. So I went... I. Don't judge me. I think Marky Mark's a bad motherfucker because of military commitment and what he does for soldiers. So I support his movies. And long story short, Home Slice's fucking 
Thanksgiving burger. Dude, I had one of them motherfuckers, and then I made them at my house this weekend for Zach in Tennessee. And you have a turkey burger, cheese, onion, and then you slap on some fucking um, stuffing and some cranberry sauce with mayo. It's like the best burger ever. But anyway, we went there, and we had the R burger, which is the base burger. We had their onion rings. We had some french fries. Once We only eat once a day on the beach, so it was like a big meal. And then we tried some of the macaroni salad, which we just had a couple bites, and we threw it the fuck out because we couldn't finish it. But um, I'm telling you, Wahlburgers is really good. I bought the hamburger and made it at the house, but having it there was awesome. But to the point, we asked for straws. They handed us straws, and the motherfuckers were paper. It was dissolving because I bought a, I had a Coke. I really have a Coke, but I had a Coke, and it was dissolving. I know you love them turtles, dude, but why don't you just find motherfuckers for throwing stars, straws on the ground instead of fucking everybody for fucking litterers? I don't get it. Moving to other shit. Newsweek. Nothing on Trudeau. He, I don't know if he won or not. I didn't really research it, but our media is still jerking off to the dude. Newsweek, instead of covering that Trudeau is a racist motherfucker because he's a damn, just like Virginia, we're not doing that. The blackface scandal tells us more about Canada's systemic racism than about Ju- Justin Trudeau. You see that? Canada's racist. Oh, Really? Then we get the big whammy. Washington Post. Ethnic food aisle. A bastion of racism. Now once again, remember this. If you don't do something, you're racist. Then if you do do something, you're still fucking racist. So eating ethnic food makes you also racist. I'm, I'm confused. Let's read it. Leave it to WAPO to pioneer coverage of what may be the next great civil rights struggle. Food reporter Tim Carman has uncovered a white supremacy inherent in supermarket organization. According to food influencer David Chang, yeah, that, that's the thing, I guess, the ethnic food aisle that is sort of the last bastion erased in that you can see in full pl- light in retail America. Come on now, you know what he's talking about. Picture the ethnic food aisle at your local giant food way lion. It's not like the rest of the bright, clean, well-orderly aisles. Is it? It's dark, chaotic, ghetto, glowing among the gleaming streets of grocery metropolis. It's thronged with old women selling plucked geese and one-eyed men spitting on cockfights. A place polite people don't mention the dinner table. No? Okay, maybe that's just my local supermarket. Anyway, David Chang influences food, thinks you probably think about it like that, and Tim Carmen writes about food says to others, especially children of immigrants who may already feel pushed to the margins of the American mainstream. The supermarkets could be just another place to experience the sting of their outsider status. Man, the children of immigrants are some fragile little cupcakes. The sting occurs whenever they walk down the ethnic food aisle, the section of the supermarket that, to some, plays out like remnants of the Jim Crow area when laws establish separate facilities for African Americans in post-Reconstruction South. It's something that's got to go, Cheng says. Separate but equal is all the rage on college campuses. Who says ethnic student centers and ethnic-only graduation ceremonies won't be next? To Chang, way of thinking... These aisles continue to exist because nobody wants to talk about them, which was certainly true about the publicist I contacted for the story. Representatives of Whole Foods, Kroger, Albertsons, Safeway, Harris Teeter either declined or did not return phone calls. 
Whatever their intention, these international food aisles had an impact on Chang as he grew up in North Virginia. He remembers his parents shopping at two grocery stores, one that specialized in Korean foods and the other supermarket with ethnic food aisle, and the memories were imprinted on the brain at an early age. The two stores, the separate aisles dedicated to international food, his food, they were a reminder to an impressionable Chang that he was different from white American. Carmen tells us Chang was a child whose food was mocked by peers at school. Child constantly tried to merge in the mainstream, but entered road encountered roadblock. It's tough for a kid scarred the memory of a hellish suburban grocery store. It's a credit to Chang that he overcome the worst of this racial nation. Shut the fuck up! Just shut up! It's there so that we can eat it, dipshit! We eat your food! You should be happy everybody in America knows what a fucking Yaki Mandu is. Dip shit. But it's, it's where we're at. New York Times opinion. This ran on October 4th. Free speech is killing us. Noxious language online is causing real world violence. What can we do about it? This is how they do it, man. If you eat ethnic food, you're a piece of shit. If you don't eat it, you're a white supremacist. Anyway, if you're white, you're just fucked up. To gay shit. Gay shit. I gotta make that sound bite. I haven't done it yet. LGBT ally USA Today surprisingly runs opinion piece on unfairness of transgender athletes. Not gonna read it because I've already said it, but they actually did it in a piece that says it's fucking girls. In Britain, of all places... The Sun ran this article. Hundreds of young trans people seeking help to return to original sex. A woman who detransitioned in 2018 says there are so many people who have had a gender reassignment surgery who wish they hadn't. Long article. And they're all 19, 20, 18 year old kids. They realize they've made a mistake. Because it was just a fad, like I said. Lesbian Batwoman fights for social justice and not much else. I'm not going to read it. It's coming out, and the whole show from the early reviews is just social justice warrioring with a gay girl. Yeah. Newsweek. Dig this shit, man. This is some good shit right here. Tanning salons could be targeting gay men by opening in LGBT neighborhoods, putting them at risk of cancer. That's a real thing. Tanning salon chooses not to open a salon in LGBT community. Discrimination. Tanning salon chooses to do it. We're going to give them cancer. There it is. That's the world. That's the world we live in right now. You do it, you're fucked up. If you don't do it, you're fucked up. I just say fuck them all. How does, how does that work? Star Wars introduces gay interspecies lovers. The only surprising thing about Disney putting an alien gay couple in Star Wars series is that it took this long. Now LGBTQers can finally dry their eyes because the galaxy far, far away is incorporating otherworldly sexualities in the mix. Because according to Disney, kids need to know that even indiscernible non-human biological entities have the same sex relations too. IndieWire reported that Disney Channel Star Wars Resistance debuted the beloved sci-fi universe first ever gay couple made up of aliens Orca and Flix. Though many might claim, so what? 
It's a kid's show. There are plenty of grown men who will tell you that anything introduced to the franchise is a capacity becomes canon. Perhaps just in time to get the audience primed for a gay couple in the final movie this Christmas? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I mean, what else would you expect from Disney's social conditioning? So there we are again, running this bullshit LGBT shit down kids' necks. And last but not least, before we go into a crazy crime, I could have listed at least 20 articles against Joker because the left fucking hates Joker because of incel violence and white guys and all this bullshit they're throwing out there. Here's CNN's take on it. Joker, the film about marginalized clown who goes on a killing rampage, is facing a wave of criticism that it glorifies a killer and encourages copycat attacks. They even had articles that it relayed to Trump. Yeah, no shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're fucked up. To the crazy crime. Again, it's a terrible idea to call the cops and ask them to test your meth. An Alabama woman literally did it. Jennifer Coyle Hall, 48, called police dispatcher Wednesday, seeking assistance. When Limestone County Sheriff's Office deputies subsequently arrived at Hall's residency in Tony, a Huntsville suburb, she presented them with a clear bag. I want this dope tested, declared Hall, who added that she was concerned that her speed was so outdated. <laughs> I mean, you gotta be dumb to do that, man. That's good. Woman arrested and taken to court for going topless in her own home. Law says she could be sex offender registry for 10 years. A woman has been arrested for going topless in her own garage. Tilly Buckin, not a very attractive woman. And her husband were fitting new insulation in the garage. It was hot and itchy work, she said. So they stripped down to their underwear. <clears throat> Shortly afterwards, Tilly's stepkids, her husband's children, came to the garage and saw her without her shirt on. She told them that there was no need to be embarrassed because, after all, the dad was shirtless. But the story goes back to the children's mother and says that she was alarmed and that she heard she made a complaint that it ended up with Tilly in court. Prosecution case slightly differs from Tilly's account. According to West Valley City Deputy Attorney Corey Sherwin, Tilly stripped down in front of her stepchildren after announcing that if her husband was allowed to take his shirt off, then a woman should be able to do as well. Prosecution case continues that Tilly, while under the influence of alcohol, had told her husband that she would only put her shirt back on and be showed her his penis. This is some petty-ass shit. This is some angry-ass shit. Three arrested after Pooch found with legs sawed off. Two Louisiana dog owners and a pal are calling for criminal animal cruelty when a pooch was discovered with back legs severed. Tammany, Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office said on Monday that an abandoned dachshund named Buddy was found at Sidwell Trailer Park with his hind legs sawed off. Buddy had allegedly been shot in February, but the owner never obtained proper medical care for the animal. Instead, the dog suffered from paralysis and walked with his legs dragging behind him, resulting in sores. Buddy's owner, a 50-year-old woman and a 17-year-old daughter, told authorities his legs then fell off from being too tightly bandaged. Hmm. Really? That, that's what it went with? Okay. Sad one that I saw literally on the Weather Channel app. Really don't like referring to that, but I do when they do stupid shit. Six elephants die in Thailand. Waterfall. Horrible story. One of the babies fell in. They all tried to save it. And they all drowned. It's pretty fucking sad, really, if you think about it. Same app, and everybody's probably already seen it by now, but I wanted to cover about it, because I've done it a million times. I've fished in it. I never even think about it. 
that video of the man getting struck by a lightning in a parking lot. Holy fucking shit, man. That dude dropped like a bag of fucking rocks. And lastly, I think it's lastly. Let me double check. Yeah, it is. Here we go. California, New Jersey, well represented on list of miserable U.S. cities. Business Insider recently released this list of 50 most miserable cities in America, which with cities in California, 10, New Jersey, 9, and Florida, 6. According, accounting for half the list, the 10 California cities were Bell Gardens, Compton, El Monte, Hemet, Huntington Park, Lancaster, Linwood, Montebello, Palmdale, and San Bernardino. Been there, it sucks. The nine Jersey cities, Camden, Newark, New Brunswick, Pasick, Patterson, Plainfield, Trenton, Union City, and West New York. The six... Is it West New York or was it West New... I might have read that wrong. West New York. No, that's right. And then the six Florida cities, Fort Pierce, Halea, Miami Gardens. Been there, it sucked. North Miami, it sucks. North Miami Beach, sucks. Hollandale Beach... It decided that Gary, Indiana, just outside Chicago, been there, it does suck, was the nation's most miserable city, followed by Port Arthur, Texas, and Detroit, which Sack and Tennessee's been to, and he can attest, it's pretty fucking bad. So, do a lighter fare. Haven't played him for a long time. YouTube channel, Yusha Smith. He's got two funnies, one about old school Vietnam vet, and the other one about Area 51. Enjoy. Hey! All right, carry on. All right, look, listen up. We got a long ass weekend ahead of us, okay? How many of y'all motherfuckers in here was drafted? That's about all of you. Don't do no stupid shit this weekend and fuck around and get killed because your ass still going to Nam. Hey, wake his ass up. Your ass still going to goddamn Nam. If I'm going, y'all motherfuckers going too. I'm not going to say it again. There's a rise of sexual harassment complaints coming from the first medical battalion, okay? Leave those women alone, okay? You keep sending these goddamn telegrams talking about you want to eat their ass and all this shit. I don't know what's up with this goddamn ass-eating crisis you got going on here. You're sick. And rumor has it, is a couple of you guys out here in town changing the color and the whites only water fountain signs around. Hey, y'all can't be doing that shit, man. I almost got my goddamn ass whooped the other day. Shit, I'm used to my shit tasting like TV static and number two pencil shavings. You whites only water fountain drinkers? Y'all some son of a gun. Let me tell you something. Y'all got some good ass water. Shit! Ooh, that shit tastes like purified angel tears. I take a cup for myself. And that better not leave this goddamn room either. But did a damn barracks inspection today, and I'm in the goddamn latrine. Why am I keep finding the CLP with Marilyn Monroe goddamn pictures in that bitch? Hey, y'all motherfuckers better not be jerking up with this goddamn CLP, because the shit falling in your pee hole, shit gonna burn worse than black syphilis. Well, sir, you did go to Nam. Did you ever have black syphilis? No, 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 no. Why would you say that? Hey, and where the hell is Johnson at? I'm right here, sir. Hey, I saw your motherfucking ass at the Martin Luther King rally, motherfucker. Hey, you can't be in there singing Kumbaya and shit, man, in uniform, brother. The fuck was you thinking? Well, sir, I'm colored, and the TVs are black and white, so I didn't think you'd be able to see me. You was about the stupidest motherfucker. All right, listen up, okay? This weekend, no fucking drugs, okay? There's a huge epidemic in the army right now with LSD, coke, weed, and even crack. Well, not crack. Well, not yet. 10, 15 years from now. That's running away. That neither here nor there. Hey, look. 
Why am I finding doobies behind the dumpster? Private Patwa. Wagwan, Saj. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, motherfucker. Anyway, listen, guys. Drugs are bad. Don't be doing that shit. We're going to start doing piss tests to make sure you motherfuckers ain't out here doing no, doing no do-dirty. Royalton. What it is, Saj. <laughs> What do we call this? Too easy, Sarge. That's an M16A1. <laughs> well, no shit. This is a kill stick. This is what you shoot the enemy with. And this is the only thing you'll be shooting this weekend or until we leave here. You understand what I'm saying? We don't need you out here fucking and ducking, conceiving and leaving, leaving little fuck trophies around. Alright? You don't want to be like old Sarge. Child support is a motherfucker, you dig? Hey, welcome to Area 51. <laughs> Come on and get a hot dog in a bun. <laughs> you want a hot dog, sir? Oh, hell no. Them shit's not even cooked. Where the fucking dog marks at? Man, fuck you, nasty motherfucker. They can't take all of us, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, okay. Light them motherfuckers up. Ah, they just shot me. That's for your life. Especially the one that's carrying a Rare Rider BB gun. Get that motherfucker good. Hey, what I miss, bro? Man, they killing everybody. I don't give a fuck at this point. Oh, oh shit. Look, look. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody help. Oh, you dying, guys. Kill my boy, Jethro. Now it's time for you to die. Mm-hmm. Come on. I got your ass now. Man, I don't give a fuck if it's ETs, aliens, or extraterrestrials. They're here illegally, and I want them out of my goddamn country. Too easy. Build that wall. Get them the fuck out. I demand to know if there's aliens in Area 51. I am not leaving. It's my constitutional right clearly states here. I am not leaving. I'm not going anywhere until we know as U.S. citizens if there are aliens in there. Because that put my life in jeopardy, and everyone else is out here life in jeopardy. We need to know... Right now, ain't that right, guys? We need to know. We need to... Fuck your constitutional right. Now take your black ass home, or it's gonna be a lot of smoke singing and fall breaking. Speaking of leaving, I think I gotta get my kid. Wait, actually. Hey, man, uh, yeah, I'll see y'all later, brother. Some funny shit. A couple other funny quick hits that will go into our This Is America. First and foremost, CBS to make Trump show based on fired FBI chief's book. They're going to have the dick dickhead from Dumb and Dumber as Comey. And some British actor I really like is going to be playing somebody else. And that just shows how far they will go to hate on Trump. I mean... Does that not speak that maybe they think Trump's still going to be there? Because this won't air until, like, next year late? Like, November next year? Really? Or is it what I think it is, usually? It's just like Madam Secretary. It's a preparatory for this is why you shouldn't vote for Trump. Our next one is, you know, Democrats are anything but, or everything, but intellectually honest. We have representatives that are not even qualified. We know that. 
But we have one that faked her ethnicity. And our media is still promoting her. She just went ahead Biden in the polls because Bernie had a heart attack, so he's kind of fallen off the wayside. And Warren was saying she was fired for being pregnant from a school district. And county records contradict Warren's claim that she was dismissed at the first year of teaching because she was pregnant, showing school board unanimously approved a second contract for her, and she didn't sign for it. That's coming from Alania Johnson, a reporter. But you won't hear that every night. They'll cover for her. They'll cover for anybody who's the lead. And they want a woman at the minimum. You know, they could get, if they could get fucking Harris, they would because it checks all them blocks. Like I said, all she has to do is say she's gay and she's in like Flynn. To our This America. First soundbite's going to be The View taking a beautiful, glorious Christmas song and turning it into The Resistance. And the second is going to be an expert, excerpt, excuse me, of Morning Joe. Yeah, Joe Scarborough has a band. This is his music. These are the two things, as I say, the last soundbite of the show, the worst things I heard this week. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Broken protocol, but stays above it all. Our POTUS is genius or Neanderthal. He rules the world, or so says he. But there's a great divide. While Scaramucci's turning, and little Schiff is spurning his commence with Rudy on defense and praise him with gold and myrrh and frankincense joy to the world Pelosi stands McConnell doubles down the doggies will unite the elephants will fight the house will say let's go
was funny. That was good. Dragging these old bones from my bed. From my bed, baby. From my bed, baby. Such a blue dawn. Feels like a freight train blowing through my head. Through my head, baby. Through my head, baby. Well, I wish I knew what the hell. That's all sorts of bad. The first one just pisses me off because you're mocking Christians with your fucking political partisan bullshit. I know you're the atheist, but once again, I don't run around saying, burn in hell, fucking heathens. And the second one, that guy was a Republican. He was termed a racist at times. And now he's got the gospel choir. Really? So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Make sure you check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So my intent, because I got some more shit to do this week, I got to do, um, New tires and mama's pimp sled, because after 18 months, them tires are fucking useless. So I'm getting some nittos. For those that are Jeepers, they sell nitto car tires. They have 60,000 mile warranty. Little expensive, about 168 a tire, but I don't give a fuck. That shit will last a little longer. I'm good with it. I got to get the oils changed in my Jeep. And Matt in Oregon, don't hate on your brother. I haven't changed oil in seven months. I've only driven three th- or like 3,000 miles on synthetic, but I didn't realize it until today. I have a sticker that says, you know, supposed to be 8,000 miles or five to 8,000 miles between on my Jeep and the lights never come on. And I looked up at the sticker and said it was due in July. That's 90 days after, that's just fucking horrible. I'm a horrible human being. <clears throat> so I got to get that done. couple projects. So we're going to do a Sunday podcast. Um, Mamacita is going to do some painting this weekend. So I figured, let's go for Sunday. That's the 13th of October, year of our Lord, 2019. And then we'll get back in our rhythm, probably do a Wednesday, Sunday going forward. That's kind of what I'm shooting for. Um, unless there's football Sunday and it really, really, really good. But um, back to two a week. Going to be back on the mic in the booth. I hope the sound sounded better. I listened to a quick couple interludes. Yeah, I gotta stop moving more and doing stuff, cause now that we're in this, like, soundproof room, or at least more soundproofed, uh, yeah, we got some issues. And that shit's like, like, you can hear me freaking put a dip in, wipe my nose. Thank God I don't have gas. Y'all would have heard that shit too, so. I'll improve my fidgetiness now that it's more 
tamped down. Remember, disconnect from all your devices this week. Don't give the yang yas It's a short ride. Spend time with your family. Enjoy fall if you're getting it. We're getting it here. Going to actually have a low of 38 this Saturday. I'm freaking pumped for that. And um, tell me what you thought of the new sound. I hope it sounded better. And tune back in Sunday for another exciting episode. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.